Magazines and Monsters, episode 55, Paranoiac, from 1963. The dictionary says, paranoia, mental disease with delusions of fame, grandeur, persecution. Paranoiac. Paranoiac. One who suffers from delusions of fame, grandeur, persecution, mental disease, mental disease. This is the Ashby family, Eleanor Ashby, whose beautiful young life is darkened by a sinister shadow. Her sister is sick. Sick? Well, she's, she's very upset and disturbed. Auntie, dear, my sister's insane. What strange sickness needed the constant attention of such an unconventional nurse? Simon Ashby. Don't lie to me, man! Dennis! Dennis! Whose twisted, greedy mind was obsessed by an inheritance of half a million pounds. They presumed that Anthony Ashby was dead. Now, his unexpected return engulfs the Ashby family in a wave of terror. Guarded with insane loyalty, a secret too horrifying to share. Simon belongs to me. No one shall hurt him. Billy D, a.k.a. Doc Strange here, back with another episode of the show. And we are basically in the uh, forefront here. We are basically diving headfirst into the Halloween season. And I have a interesting, uh, crazy, wild, insane movie here to talk about. And <laughs> this is, is, this is going to be a good one. Put the kids to bed because they don't – they're not <laughs> – this is a little too mature for them. Uh, and I have a new guest to the show, too. I have uh, – one half of the Supermates from the Fire and Water Network, uh, Chris Franklin here. How are you, man? Hey, Billy. How's it going? I'm doing great. Yeah, it's doing good. You know, I found out uh, quite a little while ago that you uh, were also a huge fan of Hammer's uh, films from uh, the UK. So I thought, oh, man, I got to reach out to him and say, hey, we need to talk about one of these. And I sent you a, a very huge list of films. And uh, <laughs> you, you you picked this one today. So, uh, you know, <laughs> Um <laughs> I, I did I did uh, enjoy this one the first couple of times I saw it as well and 
as you and I just talked off Mike for a second, uh, there are some more uh, interesting things you see the more you watch this film, and it is a, a crazy one. So uh, uh, we're going to be talking about Paranoiac from 1963, one of the uh, psychological thrillers Hammer did there. So uh, well, what do you think about this one overall big picture here? Oh, I, I think this one's great. I, I watched it. I, I got it on that box set of Hammer films that had The Curse of the Werewolf and their their Phantom of the Opera and, and those other films on it. And years ago, I'd never seen it before. And um, I actually, you know, you talk about putting the kids to bed. I actually, my, my son was about, I think, 14 or 15 the first time I watched <laughs> it. And 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 he was pretty flipped out by it. He thought it was cool. But yeah, it's it's. It's pretty freaky, and I, there's elements of it that kind of pull it more in toward the hammer horror than some of the other psychological thrillers they did. And 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 the reason I kind of wanted to do one of these is we've covered we've covered quite a few of the classic you know hammer monster movies over on Supermates and our House of Frankenstein series we do every Halloween season. So I wanted to kind of step outside of of my comfort zone a bit and and talk about something I probably won't talk about on on uh on house of Frankenstein, and i just i just think it's a great movie plus oliver reed you know that's all you gotta say oliver mm. reed <laughs> yeah i mean probably most famous with hammer for curse of the werewolf but yeah he was in you know quite a few hammer films and mm -hmm. he's usually always a crazy nutty character and he does not disappoint in this one <laughs> no I'm, I'm not sure how much oliver reed was actually acting in this film based on what we know of his lifestyle <laughs> um you know, I'm not saying he was to the extreme, but there's some scenes in this movie I think probably played out in real life for Oliver Reed. So, uh, from based mm -hmm. on what we know, unfortunately. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, they probably just said "you be you," and that's 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 what we got on screen. Here. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, this is a like I said, a psychological thriller, 1963, and it's uh, directed by Freddie Francis. Uh, you know, he's a guy that. He's, a, you know, did quite a few Hammer films as well. You know, he's not, you know, Terrence Fisher's probably the the, the big guy everybody thinks of. But uh, Freddie Francis did some uh, really good films, too, with Hammer. And, you know, one of my favorites, uh, Dracula's Risen from the Grave. That's you know mm -hmm. my favorite Hammer film. He did that one, too. And, you know, the screenplay was written by Jimmy Sangster, another Hammer staple there and loosely based on 1949 crime novel Brought Farrar by Josephine Tay, which I've never heard of. Uh, and then we had uh, producer Anthony Hines. So again, uh, all the hammer staples as far as you know behind the scenes here for sure. All the all the big names, right? Right, right. Bernard Robinson's doing this the production design, and yeah, and 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 Freddie Francis. I kind I kind of feel like he's the number two hammer director. I, mm -hmm. I kind of I kind of feel like after Terrence Fisher, you go to Freddie Francis, then you might go to Roy Ward Baker or somebody like that, or or maybe Seth Holt or somebody. But yeah, it's I think Freddie Francis is definitely. Number two, and I, and I feel like I feel like his, you know, he, of course, he's a famous cinematographer mm -hmm. and he was a cinematographer on a movie that I love, The Innocence. Mm, um, and, yeah. and I, I feel like there's some of that film in this film. I feel like that the sprawling estate and the beautiful scenery, but there's this nasty family, you know, these nasty yeah. family secrets uh uh, you know, in inside these walls, I I think it's got kind of that same feel. It's not it's not quite as opulent as um, as the Innocence, uh, which is just a gorgeous film. And and for my money, and I hate to you know no, nothing against the Haunting, but if I got to watch the Haunting or the Innocence released around the same time, I'm gonna watch the Innocence because they actually show stuff. You know, <laughs> yeah, they and they and the Innocence actually had a budget too, so you know that. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, <laughs> probably helped. <laughs> Nothing against Robert Wise and, and The Haunting, which is a great film, but I, I just, I kind of like, I, I got to see a little bit. I got to see a little bit of a ghost, you know? I yeah. mean, and so, but no, I, I, I think I, I've kind of looked at this movie now. I'm like, this is like Psycho meets The Innocents. So, <laughs> mm. yeah. And you figure Psycho came out in 1960 and that really kicked off this, you know, psychological thriller kind of uh, genre. There had been films before that, of course, but that was really the big one that was huge mainstream and uh, a lot followed, you know, in the, in the coming years there. Right. 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 Yeah. And I mean, you know, Hammer, Hammer had a little mini, a little mini industry of, <laughs> of these, uh, you know, as, as mm-hmm. you pointed out, they, they had a whole little mini a series of, I've heard them people call them mini Hitchcocks, mini psychos and, uh, they're not really any that, that much shorter, but they're just they're low budget, <laughs> they're little lower budget versions, obviously. <laughs> yeah, yeah. They never had the amount of money, you know, anybody else had. But yeah, they had their first one is another one of my favorites, Taste of Fear or Scream of Fear in the United States. That is a really good film, too. I think that one and this one are head and shoulders above everything else in that category for Hammer. Oh, yeah, that that is a great one. And that that is one that really keeps you guessing until the very end. I mean, it's got it's got more twists and turns than than a crooked road out here in you know kentucky where i live on I mean, it's, <laughs> it, it, it is it is yeah it, and i love the fact that christopher lee is cast against against type in that one you know oliver reed's mm-hmm. cap, cast as type in this one and christopher Lee is against type in that one so <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah you're not kidding yeah that was that those are like i said those are definitely my two favorites but this one it definitely has this creep uh, uh factor that uh taste of fear does not have that one's a really good uh like thriller but also like a, a murder mystery as well where this one yeah there is a little bit of mystery with a couple of things here that we find out you know almost towards the end but this one really is just about a a psychotic individual and <laughs> the people around him that he uh, terrorizes <laughs> right yeah and i mean it's like the the whole the whole family though is 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 you know there's I feel sorry for the butler in that (laughs) (laughs) Williams or whatever his name is in in that household because golly, you know? (laughs) Yeah. He, uh, he's got a rough time of it dealing with uh, our buddy here, uh, Oliver Reed. And we'll get, we'll get to him in a second here, but yeah, this film, uh, it was released on a double bill with kiss of the vampire. Uh, uh, That was a film that, uh, again, Jerry and I talked about on Brides of uh, Dracula a little bit because the ending in The Kiss of the Vampire was actually supposed to be in the ending of Brides of Dracula, but Peter Cushing was like, nah, that's not cutting it. Uh, So they they used it over there. Kiss of the Vampire is a fun flick. It's definitely not a a top hammer film that I or most people would ever think of, but it's okay for a watch every once in a great while, but definitely not one of their better films. No, I I think that film really works really well and builds some great mood and atmosphere. And then the ending just kind of kills it. I, I, I really, I, I'm not one of those people. I, I can suspend my disbelief when the, the special effects are a little, eh, you know, but, but it, they literally had, you know, rubber bats from Woolworths at the end. <laughs> so, you know, yeah. and they, I mean, they, they admit the people that made it admit, yeah, we, we, we didn't, we, we couldn't do what we wanted to do. And, and it's, um, yeah, it, 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 it kind of falls apart at the end. It's, uh, it, it, it's uh, it's it's reach out, uh, you know, exceeded its grasp, I guess, in in some ways. But uh, I do kind of like the vampire hunter character in in that film, the because he is like he's the opposite of of uh, Van Helsing. Van Helsing. Yeah, yeah, he is he is not pure of heart and you know and 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 altruistic like 
Van Helsing, he's bitter, he's drunk, he's, you know, he's, he's, he's a little, he's a little bit like um, a preview of, of a father Sandor or Shandor, however you want to pronounce it from, uh, uh, from Dracula, Prince of Darkness, you know, a little bit, he's, 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 but he's a little bit even seedier than him, you know? So, oh, yeah. I, yeah. So, but, yeah. Uh, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I kind of enjoy that one, but yeah, it's, 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 it's one I don't watch that often. Yeah. Yeah, that guy is like a, a drunk, uh, psychotic, miserable Van Helsing. The guy, yeah. <laughs> the guy yeah. that's in that movie—that's <laughs> a good one. But hey, it's interesting that you just mentioned the uh, Prince of Darkness because, as you and I are recording this, in just a few hours after we're going to be done, I'm going to be recording about that one. <laughs> oh, nice! <laughs> yeah, nice. yeah, looking forward to that because that's an interesting one as well with uh, oh, Lee and yeah. his. Lee's silence, and uh, you know, there's always some debate about why he was silent in that one. So yeah, the, the slow, that. super, super slow build uh, mm -hmm. in that, and then and then what I love the uh, the Plato mold for Dracula. I love that one. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make a new Dracula, kids. Just uh, just add ash and blood in this yeah. Plato mold, and get a new Dracula. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Dump a little blood on some ashes, and here we go. <laughs> <laughs> So, all right, well, why don't we uh, take a peek at the cast here? So uh, we have uh, Jeanette Scott, and she plays uh, Eleanor Ashby, and uh, she's an interesting character. You know, she's uh, got some, uh, you know, issues from uh, some deaths in her family and things like that, And uh, but a good character. I think she uh, she does really well in this film. What about her? Oh, yeah, I, I think she's great in this movie. I mean, you really, you really get the impression that she is just uh, – the last eight years of her life, well, I guess 11 since her parents died, but especially the last eight since her brother supposedly, you know, killed himself. Um, she is just, you know, she's been tormented by that. She, although you do kind of get the impression she may have been a little too close to her actual brother. Um, <laughs> I mean, I hate to say that, but, uh, and that'll come up later and we'll get into that. But, um, but no, Jeanette Scott is fantastic. And, uh, I always think when, when her name pops up, the the theme to Rocky Horror, the science fiction double feature comes up because she's mentioned, you know, I really got hot when I saw Jeanette Scott fight a trip at the <laughs> shoot poison that kills, you know, uh, mm -hmm. spit poison that kills. So, yeah. Um, so I, I always <laughs> think of that. But uh, she was she was really she played the tortured, you know, uh, the tortured woman that that is like she's she's so hinged on the return of her brother and she like when he's around she's so happy but then when something goes wrong i mean she's literally to the depths of committing suicide you know and, and i mean mm -hmm. it's uh but she pulls it off i mean it's she's you know she just she's somebody that's just on that razor's edge you know and and, yeah. and you learn that she's been manipulated into a lot of that uh mm -hmm. as 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 time has gone on and just something struck me this time she looks Jeanette scott here looks like a lot like a a young Diane Lane for some reason it popped out to me. She looks like Diane oh, yeah. Lane quite a bit. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Martha. Yeah, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see that for sure. But yeah, she's yeah. really uh you, you do feel for her, you know, during this movie and, and at the end for sure. But uh part of that is due to her uh brother, uh Simon Ashby, played by Oliver Reed. And <laughs> as we've already said, he is uh a character you will love to hate in this film by the end of it, especially he's psychotic. He's a lunatic. He's a uh, manipulative, pretty much every uh, negative word you could think of. He would fit in that box. Right. I mean, you, you know, Simon, you, you think at first, he's just 
a greedy, spoiled, rich, rich boy who's who's been allowed to just do whatever he wants. Although he still plays the choir at the <laughs> at the church. organ, yeah, the organ, the organ. <laughs> sorry, plays organ at church, which is yeah. really kind of a strange thing for somebody like him to do, who likes to drive insanely and you know take out the take out the landscaping every time he pulls into the <laughs> into the driveway, you know, uh, <laughs> and, and drinks and drinks like a fish. But you know, he, he he's a comp. You think he's one way and it's like, oh, well, he's pretty bad, you know, but then you find out, oh, man, this guy is like next level. You know, he's mm-hmm. <laughs> as the movie goes along and it's kind of interesting because, uh, you know, that's that's if I don't want to get away stuff too much too soon. But I mean, he's he's trying to drive his sister where he already is, you know, I mm-hmm. mean, he's, yeah. He, he's like, come come stay with me, dear sister. We're <laughs> over in, uh, you know crazy town basically uh you know not to not to make, make light of it but uh he yeah he's he's definitely uh a complex character and 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 oliver reed is at 11 in this movie i mean mm-hmm. he is he is full on but he he dials it back to about an eight here and there and grounds it just enough that you're not like okay dude you need to calm down you this is too much but he he he, he does a very good job of portraying this this character that's just he's a powder keg who just explodes on the on the regular so <laughs> yeah he's he's insane and there's no no doubting that at all but he has just enough sanity left to rein himself in to manipulate other people and uh you know when he knows there's money at stake rein himself in just enough to you know save face to not be committed that's basically how he is in this film yes good that's mm-hmm. good yeah good way to say it yeah and then we have Sheila Burrell as Aunt Harriet. And, you know, the first time I watched this movie, I felt bad for Aunt Harriet. And it was probably because I didn't uh, notice some of the, the the scenes with her in and her dialogue as much. I didn't really pay attention as much as I should have the first time or two I watched this film. But, you know, as you and I both know, when you actually read comic books or watch films and put some uh, an eye to it for some scrutiny or to really try to you know 100% understand everything nuance everything that's going on in the film things pop up that you don't normally see when you just go into a movie to watch it for fun and her character for me the last few times I watched this movie I didn't feel bad for Aunt Harriet anymore <laughs> right yeah yeah I, I I'm with you yeah you you pick up on something that she has, it, it, I don't think it's just motherly intentions toward Simon. Um, it, yeah, that's, yeah. <laughs> yeah, and she, and she knows things that we don't find out till the end of the movie that you're thinking, wait a minute, you knew about this the whole time? Like, you creep, like, why didn't you do something about that? <laughs> right, exactly. I mean, she she knows everything that's going, going on, and she is trying to hide everything, you know, uh, mm-hmm. the, the secrets of the family, and 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 you know and because she has i mean it has damaged the family that much more i mean you know it was already a wreck but um yeah it's there there's a lot about aunt harriet that you know and and i can't help but when i hear aunt harriet i expect madge blake to go alfred we're dick and bruce you know <laughs> uh, uh but uh you know this isn't batman 66 by any means so uh yeah oh she, no <laughs> she's a totally different kind of aunt harriet yeah so <laughs> Yeah, instead of shark repellent, you need like, you know, psycho repellent in this movie or something like that. But, yeah. 
yeah, her character, like I said, anymore when I watch this movie, I'm just like, you're not a nice person. <laughs> you're a horrible person. You don't don't you act like you're all nice and stuff. You're not. <laughs> yes, she, she. I mean, you know, I you you can tell that the weight of all this is like, you know, it's slowly d- destroying her as well. Mm-hmm. But a lot of it's of her own, you know, doing. So yeah. Yeah, yeah she's one step away from being Simon. That she literally is. <laughs> yeah. She's by the end of the movie, she's just about there. But yeah. oh yeah, and I did. I, I should have said this. You know, I get it. It's a movie from 1963. But spoilers. Uh, we're we're gonna spoil. We're gonna talk about everything from start to finish that happens in this movie. So if you haven't seen this one, definitely do not keep listening. Go watch this movie. You can, like you said, there's a DVD set out. You can probably find it on eBay for. 15 20 bucks or something like that or you know streaming or something like it. you can find it to it, it's to be found here or there so definitely look for it because you definitely need to see this movie before you would hear us talk about it just because there is a lot of uh spoiler and stuff that happens that you know it's it, it's going to kill the movie for you if you know about it ahead of time right right definitely this is one of those you don't i i basically didn't know anything about this movie other than it had oliver reed in it and i'm like okay it's got oliver reed i'll watch it's a hammer film it's oliver reed and I, that's why I was so shocked by what I saw when I saw it. Um, and, and there's one part about this movie that if you have never seen. Now, if you watch the trailer to this movie, I noticed that today. I went back and rewatched the trailer. Mm-hmm. It actually ruins a lot of the movie. If you once yeah. you've seen the movie, you're like, OK, there's that. And, oh, that's that person in the corner over there. That gives away like the huge part of the movie. And uh, but but if if you've not seen that. There's especially like a jump scare in this movie that'll pop out of nowhere. And you're like, okay, we're totally in a different film now. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, even if you look at some of the movie posters, it kind of, to me, I don't know if I should say gives too much away, but you know, you have Oliver Reed front and center looking like a psycho on there. So you're like, okay, I already know who the bad guy is here. You know what I mean? It's like, "Eh, could they have done a little better job of kind of keeping it secret or whatever, but uh, yeah, I don't know. That seems to be a a problem that a lot of movie posters do. (laughs) Yeah, especially from that era. But we also have Alexander. I would assume you'd pronounce it Davion Davion as air quotes, Tony Ashby. And we'll we'll get to that. Um, (laughs) I think he was really, really good in this as well. Um, He basically I don't know if playing a dual role is the way to word it, but it's it's kind of what he does. He, he, He plays two characters here you know he he plays in front of the ashby's that he's uh their long lost brother tony and then uh in some other scenes when he's talking to uh another individual keith uh Cossett, who we'll get to uh he's you know somebody else so what did you think of that character i, I thought he gave a great performance it's very understated uh for the most part which is is a nice counterpoint to all the other histronics going on <laughs> in this film um so, I mean, he, you know, everybody, everybody's, you know, uh, if, you know, Oliver Reed's at 11, then Jeanette Scott's probably at a nine or 10 and she needs to be, you know, and, mm-hmm. but he's, he's got it dialed back. And, 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 and plus that kind of, it kind of keeps the mystery going for a while. Although I, I, I was surprised rewatching it again, how quickly they reveal what's going on to us. I mean, yeah. the characters, the other characters don't know, but the, the, the viewers know. Mm-hmm. what the deal is with him earlier than I remembered. And I'm like, yeah. oh yeah, wow. They really, they didn't keep that going as long as they could have really, which is, which is interesting. Cause there's, there's like about, there's like three like reveals that a lot of movies would have used for the climax of the film. And they're peppered throughout this movie. And the, the final one is at the climax, but, mm-hmm. uh, <laughs> but there's two <laughs> other ones that are pretty, holy cow, you know, that they could have uh, really, uh, you know, revealed, but, 
yeah, I, I liked him in this, and and um, um, I, I had kind of forgotten he was in Plague of the Zombies. That's that's one I need to go back and and rewatch. That's a great uh, hammer yeah. film. That's yep. it. I, I just I, that I love that zombie makeup. That's I mean they made a Mego figure of it that I recently yeah. got. You know, so, yeah. <laughs> but, but uh, yeah, I, I I love that. That's that's a great film. And and he was in an episode of um, Thriller uh, that actually that Boris Karloff uh, yep. actually uh, participated in called The Prediction that he was played a character in besides just hosting it, which uh, is one of the better episodes of Thriller. So yeah, he's he's got some pretty good uh, pretty good horror cred. So, yeah. Yeah, I liked him quite a bit, too. And uh, <clears throat> rolling back to a minute ago when you mentioned the word climax, I don't know if I want to mention that word near uh, Aunt Harriet and Simon. You know what I mean? That's. <laughs> oh, gosh. Gross. Oh. Gross. <laughs> or, or, or Tony and Jeanette, maybe. Uh, you know, <laughs> or Jeanette Scott or Eleanor. Sorry. Eleanor. Yeah. 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 Tony and Eleanor. They're, yeah. All right. So, <laughs> yeah, this, this movie is definitely spoilers ahead. And it's. Uh, I would definitely be careful on uh, how young of a a kid you might have let them watch this movie. This movie is really creepy. It's uh, I don't I wouldn't say it's an R-rated movie, but I definitely say it's a PG-13 rated movie for sure. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean some some of the subtleties. Uh, I mean, it's it's you know it's 1963, so some of the some of the things are kind of like you've got to be paying attention to pick up pick up on what's going on. But mm-hmm. if you do, you get that you know that. Kind yeah. of, <laughs> That body shiver thing going on, right? So. Yeah, you get the willies. Yeah. <laughs> there were a couple of other uh, smaller parts here too. We had Maurice Denham as John Cossett, and he's basically like the uh, the, the the family's uh, I don't say executor, maybe is what you would call him. He's basically taking care of looking after the fam- the family finances until uh, Simon and Eleanor reach a certain age. Almost like there was a will that said, hey, they'll get X amount of money and, you know, the home and the grounds and all that once they get to the age of, you know, 20-something or other. Um, But he kind of handles the money and, you know, throws them a couple bucks, you know, when they need something. But uh, I like that character quite a bit, too, because, again, this is something I didn't pick up on the first couple of times I watched it. But then the more you watch it and the more you read, you know, different people's perspectives about this film, you kind of feel like, yeah, he seems like a nice guy, but you also feel like he might be putting his uh, fingers into the, the the family estate here, the the money here. Yeah, I, I kind of get the impression that, um, you know, Simon accuses him of that, but I, I kind of got the impression watching it this time that while the father, uh, John, isn't, <laughs> Keith, the son, definitely is. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So maybe, I mean, John might be too, but I, I, I liked him, though, because he, you know, you kind of get the impression that he is like the only person that's kind of still speaking up for the parents in the situation because Anne Harriet has her own agenda now, you know, I mean, <laughs> she, she says she is, but you know, there's things that have happened that, that, that the, that Cossett isn't aware of that, you know, so he's still acting on behalf of the family. I, I think, I mean, he, there could be some shadiness about him as well, but I think for the most part he is, and he, he loathes Simon, you know, because mm-hmm. Simon's just, burning through the money that he's allowed to have just on liquor, you know, basically. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and, and getting out and buying him and buying his way out of trouble when he gets into it. And he, he tells him, you know, you would have been arrested at least two times if it wasn't for your family name. Um, so yeah, he, he's a strong character. I mean, you know, he comes up against uh, Oliver Reed and just, he doesn't, he doesn't take no guff from him. So, I mean, that's, you know, that, that, that's, uh, that's, that takes some cojones uh, you know, so yeah. <laughs> I kind of, I kind of mm-hmm. like him. Yeah, I kind of like his character. Yeah. 
Yeah, and then you have his son, Keith uh, Cossett, who's a... Uh, he seems like he's kind of, I don't know if they were school friends or what, but he's kind of buddies with Oliver Reed. They both like to be a little manipulative. They both like to booze you know, and have a good time. And like you said, we do find out at some point that Keith, maybe uh, John, his father, is uh, dipping into the family funds. But definitely Keith is. He basically comes out and admits it. You know, he says it when he's accused of it. So he's not a very good character uh, either. He's a <laughs> kind of a, a seedy guy. Yeah, I mean, Keith, this this whole thing is is. The whole thing with Tony is his plan. I mean, he's he's basically, you know, he was a family friend. He knows all the ins and outs of the family, knows the house. Um, so, you know, without giving too much away, he he's, he's able to uh, he's mm-hmm. able to uh, kind of coach uh, certain people about how to interact with the family because he knows them so well. Yeah, uh, there's so there's yeah, a scam he, here. <laughs> yeah, he's he is a scammer. But it's kind of funny because when you first meet him, you assume he's just this kind of throwaway character that's not going to be very important. Mm-hmm. Uh, but and he and he is pretty far down on the cast list, but he actually is the person that's kind of pushing the plot along in this movie, really, which is kind of it's yeah. kind of interesting to to that he's kind of that much in the background, but he's he's actually very important to the film. So. Yeah, and then there's one other person I'll mention that is you know pretty important in a few scenes. Uh, good lord, uh, Lil Lilane Lilian Bruce as Francois, uh, and she is a lovely uh, woman who is uh portrayed as a nurse but i don't think she really is and somehow she got hooked up with simon and you know there's a couple of scams running here there's a scam with uh keith cossett that we'll talk about and simon uh as you mentioned earlier trying to uh, drive everybody insane so he can have all the money to himself and uh this uh character francois who's uh, like i said i don't think she's a nurse but that's how she's portrayed uh uh, on the like that she's a nurse and she's on the level and she's there to help with Eleanor and her uh, mild uh, uh, mental problems. But uh, what did you think of that character? You know, I, I kind of felt like, yes, yeah, she's she's very, very attractive, you know, mm-hmm. but I, I kind of felt like she was kind of the weak link in this movie. I, I didn't think that her acting is kind of up to the caliber of the other of the other actors in this film. Uh, luckily, she's not asked to do a whole lot other than to, you know, play the kind of pouty you know, it, it very obviously not really a nurse character. Uh, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it, doesn't, it doesn't take much to to figure out. It's like, OK, well, your your nurse's outfit is like two times too small for you, honey. Uh, <laughs> she, you ends know. Up, she ends up being a punching bag for Simon is basically what her yeah. part is. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Literally. I mean, you know, yeah. and and and, and uh, yeah, she you know, she she's kind of there to to show us just how devious simon is um mm-hmm. like the, you know the be, beyond his reckless his reckless self-destructive behavior he, he's out to destroy other people you know um mm-hmm. and uh, she's kind of a tool in his toolkit uh to do that and i mean she's not horrible by any means uh, but she's just I, I just don't think that and it, it might have been the language barrier i got the impression that it looked up from her imdb she was mostly a, a french actress mm-hmm. uh you know i mean she's a french actress but she was mostly in french productions Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, it might, it might be a little bit of a language barrier thing. Um, but, uh, you know, she, she was, you know, she was, uh, she was fine for what she did in this film and, and, I, you know, kind of her, what happens with her is, you know, another pretty disturbing part of this film. So, uh, <laughs> even though she's not a good person by any means, um, you know, at least she also at, at a certain point is like, okay, I, I'm not going to go any further than I have. This is too much. We're, we've gone too far. And she tries to get away. And, and and break off from 
what Simon's plans are, and it doesn't work out real well for her. So, <laughs> yeah, no, she she ends up in Simon's crosshairs, and that's usually not a good place to be. So, <laughs> yeah, but yeah, we'll 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 get to her too. Uh, but yeah, that's that's pretty much it. You know, I have a couple of tiny little bit parts here and there from other people with you know a few lines, but pretty much everything revolves around the family and this household here. And, um, you know, basically like we said, Simon being an absolute uh, maniac. So, all right, well, if you're ready, I will launch into a very quick little, uh, vague synopsis and then we can get right into the movie. How does that sound? That was great. All right. So 11 years earlier, the wealthy Ashby family was shattered when Mr. And Mrs. Ashby died in an airplane crash and their grieving son, Tony then committed suicide. All that remains of the family is cruel Simon, an alcoholic in desperate need of funds, his mentally fragile sister Eleanor, and his protective aunt Harriet. Simon is just weeks away from receiving his inheritance, but there is a hitch in his plans when the long-believed dead Tony Ashby suddenly arrives. And uh, that was uh, L. Hamry from uh, IMDb. Thank you there, Mr. Hamry. Appreciate that. So, uh, all right. Well, why don't we just start out at the very beginning here? So this very opening scene, I love this scene. It opens up with a uh, church scene here, and within like a minute, you can see uh, there's something not a... totally great about simon right <laughs> right yeah yeah, yeah. So despite the fact that he plays the organ at the church as we said yeah <laughs> as yeah. he's puffing on a cigarette yeah as he's puffing <laughs> on a cigarette yeah real respectful <laughs> there simon yeah it's like i'm sure he's got he's got a you know he's got a, some brandy over sitting on you know a, a stack of hymnals or something probably knowing his Simon. Mm-hmm. yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's 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 puffing on a cigarette while the the priest is going on about their family and this and that, and he just kind of looks over at the priest and shakes his head like, "Oh, shut up!" And then I love how he uh, takes his last puff and then throws the cigarette butt inside the pipe for you. <laughs> yeah, yeah, nice. That's that. Yeah, yeah. That re- yeah, real real respectful there, Simon. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, again, we we know you could just see by that and his body language, he couldn't give a crap about. Uh, you know, uh, a- anything religious at all. He just couldn't care less. But, you know, they they kind of the camera pans to uh, Aunt Harriet and Eleanor as the priest is mentioning them. And, you know, you can see right away Eleanor seems a bit on edge. And then they mention, uh, you know, the, the other uh, uh, son, uh, brother there, Tony, who had uh, passed away. You know, they, I don't know if he specifically says he committed suicide. Maybe he says he took his own life or something like that. Yeah, which... I, th- I think because he, he says that, you know, they that it's a sin, but that that God would forgive him because he was a you know a young child. And yeah, so I think I think he does bring up that he killed that he supposedly committed suicide. Yeah. Yeah. yeah which I find interesting because I feel like a Catholic church, especially back then, you know, something like that meant you weren't going to go to the good place. So I found that interesting that they kind of try to smooth that over by saying he was too young or young enough that it wouldn't matter. And I thought, uh, I don't know about that. I was trying to like, trying to like make, make sense of that in my head. I'm like, I don't know about that, dude. I hate to be this cynical, but I, I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Ashby's were basically, I guess the, the most important people in the community i mean they're having a memorial they have a memorial service for them every year that harriet makes them have which which uh simon brings up later so it's like would they really i mean if it's like the specific it's like the 10th anniversary of when they died i can kind of see it but this is the 11th anniversary and they're having it again you know it's like the other churchgoers have to be like, really, this again? I mean, come on. There's been other people that have died since them. But, it, it, you know, I hate to be cynical, but it kind of like, well, you know, Simon Ashby will 
you know, we'll waive what he did because, you know, he's a, he's an Ashby, you know? <laughs> mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Or, I, or else I was thinking to myself, uh, maybe the Ashbys are the biggest donors to the church. So that's why it happens all the time. Right. Yeah, I, I think so. I think they're the biggest donors or the biggest, they tie the biggest. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I do like too. you know, Eleanor, she's kind of like, you know, you can tell she's not well. And mm-hmm. we see her look towards one of the entrances uh, of the church and there's a shadowy figure there. And she kind of looks over like as if she recognizes who this is, but you, the person's in shadow. So you really don't, I don't know how she could tell who that is, especially many years after, you know, uh, her brother, Tony, you know, had, you know, allegedly committed suicide. Uh, I don't know how she could tell that would be him how many years later, but you, you get the impression that in a few minutes, like later, like that's who she thinks it is. Yeah. I mean, she, she sees him and she faints and that's the thing throughout this movie. Everybody seems to instantly recognize Tony, but Tony, uh, from, it sounded like he committed suicide when he was, you know, anywhere between like 11 and 13, 11 to 15 or something like that when he was a mm-hmm. preteen or a teen. So it's like, yeah. he's an adult now. Um, so I mean, yeah, he would look a little like he did, but how how would you instantly know, oh, that's you for sure. That's you've got to be Tony, especially when he's supposed to be dead. You know, so mm-hmm. I, I thought that was kind of strange, especially what, considering what we find out later about Tony. Um, so, yeah, it, it's it's a little it's a little odd. It, the first time I watched this, I was kind of like I, I kind of got past it with subsequent viewings. But the first time I'm like. Well, you know, I mean, I mean, honestly, you know, my kids don't, you know, my, my son's 21 years old, almost 21 years old. And I mean, you could kind of tell that it was him when he was like 13 or 14, but he doesn't look exactly the same. I mean, I couldn't predict he'd look like exactly like he does now back then, you know, mm-hmm. so it's kind of, kind of, kind of odd. So, yeah, some of the, the, the time frame and the ages are, is a little vague. I almost thought they said maybe he was 15 when he had a, uh, committed suicide so then eight years later it'd be 23 you know guys change a lot from 15 to 23 you know yeah. i mean i think i think guys more than girls so i think yeah how would you really know that's him like i, I don't know that was it's not something i get stuck on but it is something that makes you think like mm, i don't know about that but I, I you said i can get past that because you know hey don't don't let the the plot get in the way of the story here <laughs> <laughs> so yeah that's interesting so again you can see you know Eller then passes out when she sees this shadowy figure and you know she's definitely you know has some issues with you know obviously the parents and then just a couple of years later you know her brother uh committing suicide or so they think because there was a note and you know they just feel like oh he did it and they never found a body, though. So I do. Uh, <laughs> that's always an interesting way of looking at something when you think somebody's uh, dead, but there's no body. Uh, I I would have a hard time uh, thinking to myself that they were, you know, like there's no chance that they're not still alive if there wasn't a body recovered. I would definitely feel that way. Right. Yeah. That. I mean, and I mean, maybe that plays into why Eleanor is so receptive to the idea that Tony's still out there because. He supposedly jumped off into the, you know, the ocean off the cliffs. It looks like the White Cliffs of Dover. I don't know exactly where mm-hmm. it's supposed to be, uh, yeah. but but he, he, you know, he uh, he ju- he jumped off the cliffs into the ocean, and you know, they never found his body. But the idea is that he was, you know, crushed on the rocks. And I mean, even uh, the Francois even, you know, very cruelly <laughs> mentions that Tony later that Tony would probably be smashed to to bits, you know, uh, by the rocks, and he'd you know be pulverized basically. 
Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, so, but yeah, if, if, if that situation, I was in a situation like that, I would kind of, you know, uh, you know, I, I'd be probably 50, 50 on it, whether they were alive or dead, you know, mm-hmm. with, no, with no body. So, yeah. Yeah. yeah, and then there are a couple of scenes too, like you said, Simon. You you see very quickly they show him for what he is. He's clearly unhinged, a spoiled brat, an alcoholic, a womanizer. He just he'll just completely drive his Corvette right over a planter full of <laughs> flowers and, and plants and stuff like that, and just tear it up and go berserk. He's just he has no ab. He he his he doesn't have a, a good bone in his body. No, I mean at first you just think he's like he's a very belligerent sociopath you know mm-hmm. i mean you just kind of get that impression at first but and that's bad enough but then later we find out it's far worse than that <laughs> but yeah he's he just i mean it's like what did what did what did shrubbery ever do to simon that's what i want to know yeah he's, he's, he's like he's pointing his car towards him just to take him down you know it's like i get 20 points for this one you know Arr! you know just <laughs> Yeah, he's like an, an anti-horticulturalist or something. <laughs> I, don't know, I don't know what you call him, but yeah, he, several scenes of him driving over to plants and trees and stuff. It's like, what is this not doing? But he just, you can tell, he just does not care about anything other than whatever he wants. That's all he cares about. Everything else is secondary. But yeah, that, what is it? I think maybe it's even just the next day, or is it even that evening when Eleanor sees someone out in the garden too, this shadowy figure again, and uh, you know, she kind of uh, runs out after. And that's another scene where then uh, you see Simon, you can slowly start to get the feeling that he is hoping his own sister goes insane and can be like locked up so he can get, you know, all the money that was supposed to be, you know, split three ways. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's he, he that's that's he's 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 had, you know, it's it's hard to tell what Francois has been pumping her full of and. And just, you know, basically, you know, just trying to make her feel like, you know, she's got to stay up in her room more. She, you know, she doesn't come down. doesn't seem like she probably comes down to dinner that often. Um, She's, you know, it's, you know, they they may have just brought her out for the memorial service. You get the kind of impression that she's more of a shut in uh, that they and they're kind of all like, you know, Anne Harriet's kind of I don't know if if Anne Harriet knows I don't think Anne Harriet's in on Simon's plan exactly, but I think she might be aware of kind of what <laughs> what's going on. And she is so obsessed with Simon that she honestly doesn't seem to care a whole lot about what happens to Eleanor, you know, other than yeah. don't disgrace the family name, you know, uh, yeah. which it's like, well, if, <laughs> who isn't disgracing the family name in that house? So, you know, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Aunt Harriet, again, in the early stages of this movie seems very altruistic. She seems very much like she's worried about, you know, like you said, the family name and worried about everybody. But, you know, we we quickly come to see that she just feels like, well, there's a nurse here and she'll take care of Eleanor. Eleanor's got issues and she's just very uh, focused on Simon. And uh, later on, we'll see that's uh, it might be a little bit too much of a focus there from, <laughs> from most people's perspectives. So. <laughs> oh, man. Oof. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, and then, OK, I think pretty much soon after, too, we see this, uh, you know, Simon is just going absolutely berserk. He he just thinks he can do whatever he wants, spend all sorts of money. But it's almost like he gets an allowance. But then because of his family's wealth and their name, you know, he spends more than his allowance. And there are people extending him credit. And he even goes after, you know, the the butler here because, you know, he's running out of brandy and he's gone berserk and 
he wants the butler to get more brandy. And the butler kind of makes a comment like, listen, man, like the, the guy that I get the booze from won't extend you any more credit. You know, there's a garage that won't extend you any more credit because you owe all these people. And Simon, you know, he doesn't say, oh, OK, dude, no problem. We'll figure this out. He like snaps out like a, like a psychotic and like kind of goes out the butler. He's like, get it, get it. And screaming at him like, oh, boy. Yeah. I mean, he shatters the the, you know, all the the brandy the glasses, you know, he throws one at the rest of them and glass yeah. goes everywhere. And yeah, it's that, that scene's one of the ones in the trailer, which again, kind of gives away that <laughs> uh-huh. Reed might be, might be the villain of this film. Uh, yeah, it, it, yeah, he is. And it is, like I said, it is Oliver Reed at his, at his most intense, you know, just, uh, you know, it's in, in, it's so amazing that he goes into these fits, but then later he is so, you know, so manipulative, manipulative and smooth with mm-hmm. other people. Like you pointed out, it, it's just, it, it really, this is, this is a, a role that Oliver Reed could really sink his, sink his teeth into. And man, you, I, I think he, he, I just get the impression he, he enjoyed, enjoyed making this movie because he, he just got to go absolutely berserk, like you said, and, 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 and I bet you he relished it. And, 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 and as we, as I pointed out earlier, the real life Oliver Reed was just kind of known to similar outbursts, I believe. And mm-hmm. so, <laughs> yeah, he was a wild dude, but like you yeah. said, he, he was able to pull himself back around certain people. And one of them was, uh, Mr. Cossett, you know, the family's, you know, uh, accountant or whatever you want. I, I think I almost get the impression the man was an accountant and had like a business and had clients. And one of them was uh, the Ashby family. And I think he yeah. was close friends with the family as well. And that first scene where uh, Simon and him uh, start butting heads, I, I like that scene quite a bit because like we said, one scene, Simon is absolutely berserk, yelling, screaming, smashing things. And then you see him the next day where he goes to visit uh, Mr. Cossett and basically say to him, you know, I need some more money, pal. You know, my allowance isn't enough. And uh, Mr. Cossett's kind of like, well, too bad. You know, you're not getting your hands on any more money other than your allowance until you uh, reach this certain age where then you'll get, I think it's like, what do you say, half a million pounds or something like that, or 600,000 or something like that. But there's a good jousting match between the two of them. Yeah, that's a great scene because it, it, it kind of establishes, it establishes that Simon is, you know, is intelligent enough to in, in his mind enough to dial things back but he's still the whole time he's talking to him he's just dripping with contempt for Cossett. Mm-hmm. it's like it's my money you know you know you 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 know mom and dad may have left you in charge but that's about to end and you know and, and then Cossett's you know Cossett's perspective is hey I got three more weeks you know you can do what you want to with it <laughs> after that but in the next three weeks, you ain't getting a dime, buddy. You know, it's just mm-hmm. yeah. it's a, it's a, he stands his ground against him, which, you know, then, of course, he, you know, he talks about, you know, bringing a, a suit against him for embezzlement, uh, which I'm I'm not sure. I mean, from my perspective, my reading of it, I, I'm not sure that Mr. Cossett was was involved in any of that. But later, you know, we'll soon see that <laughs> the junior <laughs> the junior Cossett Keith, uh, you know, he's he's. <laughs> he he's been dipping in and he's got even he's even got a worse scheme going on that Simon doesn't know about. So, <laughs> yeah, he seems like I said, like buddies with Simon as if they've been friends for a long time, you know, schoolmates and things like that. But yeah, he's in the background watching this whole interaction. And then uh, when Simon finally is like, you know, says his last word to uh, Mr. Cossett, uh, him and Keith go to Keith's uh, office at the business here, the family business. And, you know, we see Keith, uh, 
you know, we you get the impression at first, like, he's just a, a swell guy, but uh, he's, you know, into extortion and bribery. He's he's basically like Simon Light. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's basically what he is at this point. Yeah. And, and I mean, you, you know, Simon basically says, well, you know, I, you know, I know you've been dipping into it here and there. So unless you want me to say something, you're going to, you know, write me a check because I need some cash, you know, and, and he pulls out his checkbook yeah. and starts writing mm-hmm. because he's, he's got him, you know, he's like, well, yeah, you're right. I have been. And he wants to, they want to keep their, the, the family business, obviously. And he doesn't want his father knowing that he's been dipping in. So, um, mm-hmm. so yeah, he, he, he so everybody's <laughs> scamming everybody in this film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I think Simon says to him, like, I know you've been dipping into it. And like you said, Keith doesn't deny it. And, Simon's like, but I'll uh, I'll keep quiet if you just write me a check for a hundred quid. And right away, the pen and the checkbook come out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so yeah, that's awesome. That's a good scene. I really like that. Yeah, yeah, and it, and it just shows, you know, Oliver Reed. You know, I'll, I'll joke, Oliver Reed was a great actor. I mean, he really was, oh, yeah. and, and very magnetic personality. And and I enjoy everything I've ever seen him in. And and I mean, he could he could play he could definitely play characters who were not like simon here obviously i mean burnt offerings i mean my god that Mm -hmm. that that is the most depressing movie i think ever made burnt offerings (laughs) yeah yeah (laughs) what a downer of a movie but that's (laughs) it's a great movie but my god it's so depressing (laughs) yeah and then you figure the what's what was that very last one he did that he actually died before they were finished with it gladiator gladiator yeah. yeah yeah he was really good in that too oh yeah just wonderful in that yeah and and although him and apparently him and Russell Crowe didn't get along with it's like, you know, and Russell Crowe's an actor that other people don't get along with, but then Russell Crowe couldn't get along with Oliver Reed. So what's that say? I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I feel like even on my deathbed or even on his deathbed, I don't think I would piss off Oliver Reed. He don't care if I'm Russell Crowe or not. He, he'd be like 75 years old and still beat my ass. So <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> he, he was a big, crazy dude, man. That's right. I, you know, Oliver Reed's kind of funny because in some ways, you know, he, him and, and Lon Chaney Jr. kind of have a similar track. Mm-hmm. You know, they, they both have suffered with um, alcoholism and, you know, Ch- Chaney had, I think, more mental health problems and, and then he died yeah. of, of throat cancer. But but still, you know, it's it's, you know, they both famously played werewolves. Mm-hmm. And I, I think part of that, they had that inner that inner rage, that inner beast that I think that that kind of keyed into their performance. You know, I think that kind of helped it. You know, that's not necessarily a good thing, but it's kind of, uh, but Oliver Reed's like, you know, uh, like an even more intense version of Lon Chaney Jr. And Lon Chaney Jr. was known to, to, to tear up, tear up, uh, his uh you know studio bungalow and <laughs> yeah get into fist fights with his buddies just for fun and you know Broderick <laughs> Crawford and him would just get like tear up sets and you know studio uh, offices and things just you know roughhousing around so it's, it's kind of it's kind of funny how they kind of parallel in some ways <laughs> yeah yeah you're not kidding but so all right so you know at this point Eleanor now has you know seen this shadowy figure twice but you know I, at this point, she really is like, I, I, I am going nuts. And like, she can't take it anymore. And we, she goes to the, the, the cliff tops. Uh, I would assume uh, the same ones that, where uh, her brother Tony uh, allegedly jumped off of. And then we finally see this character, you know, this air quotes Tony watching her and sees her jump into the water and jumps in after her to save her. Um, 
what did you think of that scene there? I I, I thought that was an interesting scene. Like, cause you know, we're going to find out what this guy's really all about in a few minutes here in our conversation. But at this point right now, you don't know this, this could really be her brother. Yeah. I mean, I really liked the way that was filmed and, and I love the, the, the upshot of you saw, she was on one set of cliffs and then shot up past her and there's Tony up on the cliffs above her watching her. Uh, that was another case where it's like, you could tell this movie was, was filmed by a, a cinematographer, you know, <laughs> yeah. was directed by a cinematographer. Uh, and the cinematography in this film is actually, is uh, actually really, uh, really, uh, really well done. But yeah, mm-hmm. I, I thought that was great. And, and I mean, she, you know, she even says, you know, uh, God forgive me, you know, as, as she's, so, I mean, I, I like the fact that her faith plays into it, but she's just at the end of it. She's just at the end of a rope. I mean, you know, they, she's pretty sure she's seen, she knows she's seen Tony, but there's people convinced her, oh, you haven't seen anybody. There's nobody, you know, they're, they're telling her, they're telling her you're, you're, you're sick, you're mad, you're, and, and mm-hmm. she's, you know, she's, she just can't take it anymore. Every, everybody's trying to convince her, you know, whether, whether they're out to destroy her or they literally think, okay, she really is sick. Uh, they keep telling her that. So she's, you know, she's just in her mind, she's doing the only thing she can do. She just cannot deal, deal with, you know, what, what's become of her, her mind at this point. And, uh, and I, I like the fact that, um, you know, we don't, at first we don't know what this guy is going to do because he's just this shadowy figure that keeps watching. And is he Tony? Is he not? And, and then, you know, not to, I won't ruin your, uh, steal your thunder, but the next scene, we kind of like, oh, okay, that's what he did, you know, so. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I don't want to jump ahead either, but as far as Eleanor goes, and you, you, you initially get the impression that Simon is, you know, trying to drive her insane because he's this bad, bad person, but again, to come back to Anne Harriet, there's a scene later in the movie where Eleanor uh, mentions here about hearing music coming uh, from somewhere in the home and then uh, there there's like a, a family chapel like this is a very very wealthy family so they almost have their own little chapel like connected to their home or on mm-hmm. the grounds um and she hears music coming from it and she says that no one else hears it so that that's not only simon but that would include aunt harriet too and maybe even the butler at this point i, I, I don't know because i'm thinking unless the butler's deaf like wouldn't everybody else hear that so she is like I said, really, you know, she doesn't even know where she's at mentally here. She's like, she really does, or she really is starting to believe that maybe I am really, you know, crazy. Yeah, I, I'm not sure Aunt Harriet's out to out to make her um, think she's insane, but I think she kind of thinks she is to a point, or she she just dismisses Eleanor kind of. You know, she yeah. she honestly just doesn't care what happens with Eleanor because she's so focused <laughs> on Simon. Uh, yeah. and, but, but her, the things that she knows and doesn't tell, like you mentioned earlier, that affects Eleanor's mind as well. And, 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 and we'll see that because yeah, she's, she's heard things. Now she's seeing things that other people say they don't see. And so, yeah, I mean, you know, you can kind of understand the state she's been in for the past eight years or so, why she would, you know, well, this is my only solution, you know, it, it, yeah. it it's it's unfortunate, but it and it's it's should never be anybody's solution. But you know, character wise, it it obviously makes sense. Yeah, and then this uh, Tony, uh, you know, saves her from the drowning and takes her up to the house. And I like how he uh, takes her inside, and the butler is looking at him like, "I know this guy." 
And he takes her inside. And, you know, it doesn't take long for Aunt Harriet to look at him and think, yeah, you look familiar, but I don't trust you. You're not who you say you are. And that's an interesting dynamic because by the end of the movie, we'll find out Aunt Harriet knows 100% for sure this is not uh, Tony, but she can't really say why. So that's something, too. I, I didn't pick up on that the first time I watched it or think about it, but I do think about it every time now. I'm like, yeah, you know it's not him because, because you know, <laughs> something we're going to find out later in the movie, not because, you know, because, again, they the whole uh, townspeople, police, everybody believes this Tony jumped off a cliff and killed himself, but there was never a body found but not because uh, the tide took it out to, you know, the Atlantic Ocean. We'll, we'll, we'll figure out, you know, we're going to find out. We'll, we'll get to it. But there's a reason why certain people know this can't be him, but they won't come out and say why. That's an interesting dynamic. What do you think there? Yeah, that, that really, when you watch, after you've seen it the first time, when you rewatch it, it's almost like rewatching The Sixth Sense, you know, because mm-hmm. <laughs> you're <laughs> yeah. like, does this make sense? Uh, but no, because, I mean, she she kind of acts like, now, she can't come out and say it flat out, I know you're not Tony, but she is very, very suspect of him the whole time, whereas now Simon kind of, he 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 hints that he doesn't think he's his brother, but he refers to him as brother, which mm-hmm. I think is interesting, and that might even play a bit into what we find out about Simon later, um, <laughs> that, you know, that the guy was so conflicted that maybe he was having a hard time grasping reality at any given moment maybe even i mm-hmm. i'm not i'm not sure but uh yeah the way those those two in particular react is is interesting but yeah the butler everybody looks at this guy and thinks oh this is just tony grown up so you know obviously at this point we've revealed this isn't the real tony this guy must be like just one of those uh, not to <laughs> a dead ringer not sorry uh no pun intended. <laughs> he must be a dead ringer for Tony, or he was when he was younger, and now he has matured into what they assumed adult Tony would look like. Yeah, and I do like Simon's reaction to the first time he sees, uh, you know, air quotes, Tony here. He looks yeah. at him, and he, like, freaks out, and here's one of the uh, shrubbery murder incidents <laughs> where he gets in his Corvette and just goes peeling right out and rips the crap out of a bunch of the landscaping. It's like... This guy is a real nut. Like, what is wrong with him? He, he, well, first he he drives in that way and knocks. Yeah. And runs, he he almost runs Tony over, and because Tony's he dropped her off and he's going to leave because he wasn't sure what he was going to. Well, he says later he wasn't sure what he was going to do if he was going to come to the house or what he was going to do. But mm-hmm. so he walks away and, um, and Simon. you know Simon almost <laughs> runs him over, but then runs into a, a big shrub in a potted, <laughs> you know, and and then jumps out and tries to basically attack him for you know you know like 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 you're the guy that's you know you're the guy that was in the wrong here because you happen to be walking down the walk while i drove all over the, <laughs> the <laughs> drunk probably shrubbery and yeah and yeah. he's drunk of course and, and then he and then when he sees his face yeah you're right he just he totally flips jumps in his car and tears up more shrubbery and more grounds and then drives off so yeah, and there's 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 at least one solid reason why he reacts that way. We'll, we'll again, we'll get to that. Um, but yeah. then he 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 does uh, come back in the house and Harriet comes out and says, come back in here. And yeah. she says that to Simon, too. And Simon's like, screw you. And he just takes off. But uh, this this gentleman, Tony, uh, comes back into the house and uh, they have uh, some conversation. And Aunt Harriet kind of starts uh, questioning him and uh, 
you know, trying to basically disprove he is who he uh, is uh, seemingly uh, when he uh, rescued uh, his sister Eleanor there. But uh, I do like that scene, but even better, I like the scene where uh, uh, this Tony gets uh, questions by uh, Mr. Cossett. Uh, So I really like that scene because I thought, okay, this guy, if he's not really Tony, he's not going to know the answers to these questions. So again, first time viewing, you're thinking, okay, this must be him because that he seems to know all the answers to Cossett's questions, right? Yeah, he he knows the answers better than Cossett does because, like Cossett asks, you know, if Simon had a had a pony, what was his name? And he's like, that wasn't Simon's pony, that was my pony, but we gave it to Simon because he had such a fit because I got a pony and he didn't. <laughs> you know, yeah. it, it, which which says a lot about i mean that's perfect simon right you know he's a brat mm-hmm. you know he's a he's a spoiled brat so of course he flipped out when he's i want a pony i want a pony you know uh so uh uh but uh yeah he, he, he i forgot what the name of the pony was but he knew it you know and uh Clink, and, clinker clinker yeah clinker yeah <laughs> uh, what's the name for a pony uh yeah Jeez. maybe maybe his horse his little horseshoes clinked when he walked or something but i don't know uh, but yeah, I, I love that because, you know, it, it was, you know, and, and Aunt Harriet and, and Cossett was like, you know, if you don't want to be here, you can leave. And she's like, oh, no, I'm staying, you know, the whole time because she she was waiting to see him break because, like you pointed out, she knows he's not Tony. Uh, mm. So she's like, well, how how does this guy know all this stuff? And I, I loved a little bit that when he brought her Eleanor in. He asked uh, Williams, the butler, is her room still you know on the right or whatever he said? You know, he knew where her room was. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I thought was was a nice touch, and and Simon tried to trip him up on knowing where where Tony's room was, and you, yeah. the way they shot that, you're like, okay, does he know where it is, or is he having trouble trouble figuring out where it where it is? And I, I'm still a little foggy on if he yeah. briefly misremembered it from what he was told, but then he figured it out enough to satisfy uh, Simon. So it, there's there's nice little bits of cat and mouse here with you know and, and uh like you said alex davion is great he he he's so cool and collected throughout all this he 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 never he just says enough he, he never gives away too much information he's kind of tight-lipped he only kind of speaks when spoken to to a point mm-hmm. uh and, and and that's just unnerving the living hell out of <laughs> and harriet and simon too you can tell <laughs> oh yeah i do love to halfway through uh Cossett questioning uh, Tony Simon's like, oh, I'm not going to sit here and deal with this, you know, shenanigans. I'm out of here. Well, of course, where does he go? He goes to the pub. Yeah. <laughs> and that's an interesting scene there, too. We see him and he is blasted out of his skull. And there's two ladies drinking some champagne with him and another character that's sitting there. And uh, he starts to get a little crazy here as there's like a almost like a bum at the bar. That's like, you know, he's probably drunk, too. And he's all but passed out. And he keeps calling him his brother. Hey, Tony. And he keeps calling his brother Tony and then tries to, like, you know, force the guy to drink some liquor. And the other guy's like, whoa, calm down, man. And there's a little scuffle that ensues there. That's a That shows, again, how crazy he really is. Yeah, I mean, he pulls darts out of the dartboard and comes at this guy, you know. And yeah. And, and for a minute there, I thought he was going to accidentally stab himself with him. Because uh, when he crumpled over, I thought he was going to, like, you know, injure himself. But he, he doesn't. Yeah. But. Yeah, I, it's it's kind of interesting that uh, maybe maybe there's something to the fact that the uh, that the old drunk is you know literally face down on the table when he mm-hmm. when he comes over and starts calling him Tony. Uh, might telegraph <laughs> a little uh, <laughs> about <laughs> about something that we'll learn later, but uh, yeah, th- yeah, that is. I mean, 
that is just uh, yeah another another tour de force moment for for Oliver Reed to just flip out lose it. I mean he's such a and he is such a like you said he's a big guy he's a he's a burly enough guy that he just he looks like he, he's a coiled spring that's constantly ready to just snap you know and he he snaps a lot so I mean it's just mm-hmm. uh, when he he explodes and, and he does it well and I mean he did that in. In Curse of the Werewolf, you know, like I particularly when he when he found out that he, you know, had that curse upon him and, you know, they tell him what's what's going on with him and he he flips out and he and and there's there's a part of that that kind of later in the film that reminds me of that as well. But, yeah, it's uh, uh, it, it's 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 a great it's a great scene. There, there's quite a few. This movie takes it's not a very long movie like, you know, most hammers, but it really builds these characters up. They take the time to let you kind of get inside the minds of these these people and. And man, that's a nasty place to be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not kidding, especially in Simon's case. But yeah, yeah. so uh, it's interesting. After uh, Tony answers all the questions from Mr. Cossett, uh, assuming he then leaves while Simon's at the bar and all this shenanigans is going on, he goes, and this is, you know, like you said, it's not that very far into the movie where he goes and we see him meeting up with Keith. Uh, Cossett's son and Simon's buddy, and this is where we get the rub, or at least part of it, where we see this, you know, air quotes, Tony is a fake, and he's in league with Keith as they're uh, trying to, uh, you know, embezzle some money here, right? Right, yeah, and I, I like the fact that, you know, he's, Tony's already, like, fake Tony. We'll, we'll just have to call him Tony because they never tell us the guy's real name. Yeah, so, no, they don't. <laughs> which I think's interesting. It's, and I mean, I, that's that's really kind of interesting considering how the movie ends, too, but, mm-hmm. um, because we really don't know anything about this guy. Uh, he, he's, but he's already like, he kind of wants to get out. You know, he's like, yeah, this is, this is too much The you know, the girl, you know, and you got to get the impression that, that, you know, he's already taken a shine to Eleanor and, and Keith, Keith kind of picks up on that. Um, mm-hmm. And, you know, he, he's basically doesn't want to manipulate Eleanor. She's, she's, she's a very fragile. He obviously very fragile person. He's saved from committing suicide. Mm-hmm. Uh so, you know, he's like, yeah, the, the, I, I don't want to go through with this, basically. And he's like, well, you, you've got to now because, you know, uh, you know, I'll, or I'll, you know, basically turn you in, uh, you know, for, you know, I'll blow the whistle on you and get you in trouble. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so he's kind of stuck doing it. And and he said, well, you know, what would you have done without me? He said, well, you know, I had some other guys lined up that were willing to do it. But you came along and, you know, you just looked the part, you know. So he he had some other guys who were eh, decent, decent Tony replacements. But apparently <laughs> this guy was like, you know, he was he was like the perfect Tony stand in, you know, or something. I don't I, I don't, <laughs> it, it just you know, you kind of makes you wonder if he didn't just bump into him in a in a bar and say, you know, you look a lot like a friend I used to have and then go from there. <laughs> you know, uh, it, it just it it's it's really that would be an interesting thing to know. It's like, how did these two meet? what was that conversation like you, you don't need to know it and i'm kind of glad they don't because you can just kind of imagine what it was like but yeah how, how do you talk somebody into hey can you impersonate my uh my dead friend so we can both like get rich you know <laughs> yeah really <laughs> that's great so at this point too uh, simon is so blasted out of his skull uh <laughs> air quotes tony uh, goes to pick him up uh, or goes over to the pub basically and drives his car to uh, take him home. And they have an interesting conversation there between each other. That's when Simon says, like, you know, I, I know you're a fake, too. 
uh, just like Aunt Harriet does. So, you know, we're going to we're going to see where this leads. But I, I know you aren't who you say you are. So that's basically two people in this film now that, you know, they're basically admitting they know he's not who he says he is. But again, you're asking yourself this question. Well, why don't they go to the police then? Why, you know, what's what's going on here? And it, it, that's something that's really kind of uh, pulling you along here to find out what is really going on there. And it's it's something that it's <laughs> it, it's a really good surprise. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. I mean, it, it, yeah, exactly. I mean, why couldn't they just you know, why are they being so cagey about it? I mean, they're being and Harriet's being pretty, pretty open about the fact that, you're, well, you're not Tony. But then, you know, Simon kind of in front of other people is kind of like he's entertaining the idea that it's Tony. But he mm -hmm. tells to Tony's face. Yeah, I know you're not Tony. And he even he, you know, he he, he snidely calls still calls him brother, which mm -hmm. I which I think's a nice touch. Mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, it it it, it really. It, it really uh it's really starting to it pulls you in i mean that's just another aspect it's like what is going on here even even beyond the fact that now we know the mystery's not is this tony or not that's been resolved this isn't tony but there's more to know and that's that's that, that there's so many layers <laughs> it's like a it's mm -hmm. like a three-layer cake you know or something like that. <laughs> yeah i mean at this point too you're figuring aunt harry it seems a bit off but you don't really know how off she is um well, Tony brings Simon in the door and he's so drunk he can barely stand up and he tries to take him up to his bedroom. And Aunt Harriet's like, you know, I'll take care of him. Like, get out of here, you, you know, you faker. And this is the first really creepy, at least for me, I get this, you know, my creepy meter was, was uh, going off like a Geiger counter, except a creepy, creepy counter was going off. Um, she takes Simon to his bedroom to uh like take him to bed and i don't know this this the first time i saw it again i didn't think anything of it but now uh, repeated viewings she kind of puts him into the bed and then almost acts like she's going to help him undress and they're looking at each other in a really creepy way so what about that yeah you know there's in in the version that i've got on that hammer set there's kind of a, a jump cut there when like because she puts him in bed and she like leans over him and like you said he seems like he's kind of passed out uh but you know like he's kind of in and out of being conscious and mm. and and then she kind of leans over to him like she's either gonna you know caress his face or like you said help him undress or god help us even kiss him or something Oof. and then and then it cuts to him kind of like laughing at her and she kind of gets up like angry and walks out of the room i wonder if there wasn't is that is that the way you saw the film? Is that is... well, yeah, I have that exact same DVD set. But when I'm here at like my desk working, I usually try to just stream stuff on my iPad. And you can go okay. to our archive.org right now, and this movie's on there. <laughs> okay, and, okay, and that's the version I watched. And the way that scene plays out, it, there's there's this moment where, like I said, she's like face to face, like nose to nose with him. Like two people that were gonna, you know, get romantic together would be, and it almost looked like as if she her hands went to like his shirt collar to like unbutton his shirt, and he looks at her, and there's like one or two seconds of them just looking at each other, and then he starts laughing, and she gets up and walks away like she's upset, and it's 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 really creepy. It's a really creepy scene. The more you watch it, right, and I, it makes me wonder if that that universal the box set that I've got isn't just a just a second cut out of that just to kind of 
kind of smooth over that incest thing because it, it always has made me think, okay, they cut something right there, you know? And so mm-hmm. it sounds like, sounds like I need to go find that other version and, <laughs> and, and catch and catch those couple of awkward seconds that I'm missing. You know, it's, it's, uh, mm-hmm. you know, it, it, cause it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because he seems like he's kind of pretty much out of it. And then all of a sudden he's laughing at her and she's get, leaving the room angry, you know, like she's upset that, you know, he ruined the, he ruined the moment, you know? <laughs> so <laughs> Yeah. It's the, the look they share is a little too long and not the kind of look an aunt gives a, a nephew that is, you know, drunk and she feels sorry for it's, it's creepy. It's like, again, the first time you watch this movie, you might not catch it or depending on, you know, if there's a version with a second or two cut out of there, but it's, it's the more you watch it, you, know, you just keep going back and watch that scene a few times in a row. It's creepy. It's it's that's that's the first time I thought something's up with Anne Harriet here. She's got some kind of uh, weird obsession with Simon that's not healthy. I you know I don't want to jump ahead, but I, I can't remember exactly at what point it is in the film. But there's the one scene where he, him and Francois are basically talking about. I think it's earlier in the film where they're they're talking about you know what the deal is with Eleanor and. And he, you know, he basically goes into her room and and mm-hmm. she's undressing and he's playing around with her on the bed and they act like they're going to, you know, get it on. And then he gets up and's like, nah, I'm not in the mood, basically, <laughs> and, leave. you know, gets her all yeah. worked up and then leaves. And then he when he opens the door, he sees Anne Harriet walking by to go up the staircase. And so he throws the door open just enough. So she sees the fact that he's leaving the room with mm-hmm. Francois in her underwear. Mm-hmm. And the look she gives him is like, is not one. It's like, he knows that that's going to, that it's not so much the fact that, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm screwing around with the help. It's the fact that, Oh, look, you know, look, auntie, I know how you feel about me and look what I'm doing. And, yeah. And she looks back at him like, Ooh, and then just like goes up the stairs and it's like that's like a uh you know it's like she doesn't want him having sex with anybody else you know it's like ah (laughs) yeah like almost something you do to make uh, an ex jealous or something like that it's really it's really creepy and again the first time i saw it i i didn't even think of this i just thought to myself oh he's doing that just to show her and be a jerk about how just you know how bad he is like a womanizer an alcoholic like he's just like look how how bad i am but then yeah. again subsequent viewings you think that's not really what that scene portrays when you really look at everybody's body language and reaction that's that's not how it is and francois gets up all pissed off and shuts the door <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> oh man yeah she's kind of a, like we said she's a good character in the film for what they asked her to do but she's more in the background and she only has a couple of scenes that are really meaningful to the film. That was one of them. And we'll, we'll get to the other one in a minute here, but uh, mm-hmm. so yeah, it's a, uh, it's, uh, it's kind of creepy there. So, okay, moving on uh, that, that evening though, is when we first see and hear, you know, there's like this uh, singing going on. You hear this voice singing and the Tony is like, what the heck is going on? And he goes up and like I said, there's, like a chapel kind of connected or right next to this home. And he goes and he opens the door and looks in and he sees Simon at this uh, organ playing music and can hear singing, but you can't see anybody singing. And then this creepy, <laughs> crazy looking masked figure pops out of nowhere with this hook, like almost like, uh, like for like you grab a, uh, uh, 
hay bales with to pick up one of these hooks and kind of like takes a couple of swipes at him and knocks him down and does cut him. What do you think of that scene? That was like where it kind of like went from psychological thriller into the, the horror vein here a little bit. Oh yeah, I mean we we've just jumped into a slasher film all of a sudden. Mm-hmm. I mean it's it's not it's not really that. I mean it's it doesn't it doesn't go as long as you thought it was. It doesn't go in that direction long as you think it will once you meet this character. But yeah, I mean, and that was a jump. I mean, <laughs> I remember my son going, "What the what the crap was that?" You know, just like <laughs> we watched that because he wasn't expecting you know something like that. I mean, in, in the the old. The old mask, it's this bald head that looks like it it looks almost like like a Humpty Dumpty type yeah. mask or something. It is it's it's looks dirt it looks dirty and the paint's chipped and and it's just and, and they're in a choir boy outfit otherwise with a hook. I mean it's it, it, I mean this this character could have been a killer in a slasher franchise. There's no mm-hmm. there's no doubt about it. You could you could go into a spirit Halloween store nowadays and get all sorts of merch of this character if they chose to go in that direction i mean there's a lot of potential there because it is unnerving it is it is a nerving scene it just like it literally almost like a jack-in-the-box pops up into the frame with the hook cuts tony tony backs up cuts his arm and then you know takes off but it's it's like wow i think no who was expecting that if you haven't seen the trailer because it's in the trailer if, mm-hmm. if you hadn't seen the trailer, who was expecting that when you were watching this movie? <laughs> yeah, that, yeah, that really came out of nowhere. And it's one of those things that I feel in horror films lately has come back around where they've steered back towards simplifying horror sometimes with a, a mask or something like that. Like it's not, you know, all this makeup and CGI and crazy stuff. Sometimes it's just a psychotic person with a mask on. That can be really scary and really creepy as well. Right, right. I mean, I think I think that you know, anybody can go, you know, it's, that's definitely become more of a thing, you know, again, it's, it's like anybody Mm -hmm. can go into a store, especially (laughs) starting right now, this time of year and Mm -hmm. and buy a mask. (laughs) And then, you know, you could, you know, hard tell what you could do. Right. So yeah, it's, and it's this old, I mean, it's where in the crap did this mask come from? It's, it's, uh, (laughs) it's just, uh, yeah, I don't, I don't know where they, I don't, I'd be interested to see if this was something that the prop department made or they found, but, uh, you know, I, I hope I hope whoever owns this uh, keeps it locked away somewhere and not out on display because <laughs> I don't think I'd want to look at it that often. Right. <laughs> yeah. You know what it reminds me of how sometimes you'll see like Depression era pictures of Halloween costumes and sometimes the masks were like these just like crazy, almost like doll face kind of masks. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's kind of what it reminds me of. Maybe it was what Aunt Harriet wore when she was a kid. <laughs> Yeah, it may be. And I mean, you know, it's like there there are so many like, I mean, I, I until re- recently, I did not know these existed, but there's these really super creepy Santa Claus costumes that yeah. came with like, like you said, like these kind of China doll type masks then with the beard added on and stuff. And oh, my God, those things are just disturbing. I mean, what child? I mean, you can, you can even see pictures of kids like sitting on Santa's lap with those faces and it's like that is just nightmare fuel i'm sorry (laughs) yep yeah that's why i said sometimes these simplistic things or things that weren't actually meant to be creepy and scary they are now like look at some of the uh advertisements just for like food in like the 50s and 60s with these children you know eating food or something like that they're creepy like that one 
there's one floating around there. It's like it's, you know, become a, a meme where there's a kid eating like beans and he looks like he's like a psycho. He's just like this little kid eating beans. <laughs> <laughs> Crazy. But yeah, some of these unintended uh, creepy things, right? Well, I mean, yeah, I mean, the, the entire I, I really do still feel sorry for anybody who ever went to clown college because, Ooh. you know, clowns have like exclusively become horror figures now. There's just mm-hmm. and it's it's sad. It really is sad in a way. You know, it, it really is it, that it's just that it's gone that far. Uh, and it's it's it, you know, you cannot have a clown be a happy figure nowadays. Now it's some depraved killer clown. You know, there's just there's no there's no. <laughs> I mean, McDonald's barely uses Ronald nowadays for a reason, you know, so. <laughs> yep. Yeah, there's a reason for that. But yeah. So, OK. All right. So let's let's move in here. So I missed this scene. I don't know if I was doing something or what, you know, multitasking. But at some point, I don't remember seeing this scene in the first couple of viewings here. But we do see Simon in the garage and he's basically, you know, cutting the brake line or sabotaging a car. Uh, mm-hmm. I guess he had found out that Tony and Eleanor had made some plans to go have a picnic, you know, by the uh, infamous cliffs and the, the ocean here. And uh, we see him doing that. And then they do go on this trip and then almost get killed here. This is a crazy scene. Yeah, I mean, that that seems really well done. There's some really great rear projection there that looks really I mean, it's really, you know, rear projection can sometimes be pretty horrible. Yeah. But uh, the scenes of, of Jeanette Scott in the car, uh, you know, obviously they're not going <laughs> to dangle her off the cliff but then i mean they there are you know the from the the shot towards the car from the back of the car up it does i mean they actually have a car you know hanging over a bank of course it's probably like two feet from the ground uh Mm -hmm. but but you know and that's that's well done but it it looks great now i love i love how you know uh tony like takes some kind of metal pole that's around there like a sign or something pole and and it sticks it between the, the 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 bumper in the car and kind of tries to leverage keep the car from falling off the rest of the way because it's like got it's got stuck in like a barbed wire or a wire fence that's mm-hmm. around the edge, and it's 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 a really taut scene. It's really well done, and and I love the way they cut it because you know he tells her to you know come up the windscreen, you know climb over the wind. He calls windscreen, you know instead of windshield, and mm-hmm. and and she climbs over top of it, and then it cuts to the back, and the car falls. And then as the car falls, you see that he, he has grabbed her off the mm-hmm. front of it. It's really well shot. But it does make me wonder, why in the world would those two ever take a picnic there where he supposedly killed himself? And <laughs> yeah, she a little, tried little morbid. <laughs> yeah, a little morbid. Hey, let's go to that place where we both tried to kill ourselves. You want to? You know? <laughs> okay. <laughs> that's, that's great. I'll make the sandwiches, right? Uh, what? <laughs> that scene is one that stuck out to me. You know, we mentioned uh, psychological thrillers and just three years previous, you know, uh, Hitchcock's Psycho came out, you know, uh, probably mm-hmm. the biggest of all. That scene reminded me of something uh, the way it was shot uh, that Hitchcock would have done. It kind of stuck out to me. Yeah, it's kind of got that uh, North by Northwest kind of feel to it mm-hmm. or something like that. Yeah, yeah. It's it, in and, uh, you know, it, it's it's uh, <laughs> it <laughs> it is kind of interesting, though, because, you know, here's this seems like a very romantic type thing for a brother and sister to do. Yeah. To it's, it's weird. <laughs> I mean, for an adult brother and sister to do, I mean, when they're little kids, maybe, you know, like go off and let's, but even that's unusual without the parents, you know, mm-hmm. but it's, you know, that's something that, that a, a dating couple does. And yeah. Lovers. yeah and it's, yeah, it's so it, it, you kind of like, okay. And, and, and Cossett even said something to him. Oh, well, 
you know, don't fall for her. She's your sister, you know, mm-hmm. uh, kind of warned him, you know, I mean, obviously Jeanette Scott's a very beautiful woman and very charming. And so you can understand why he'd be like, Hey, you know, but he is yeah. supposed to be her brother. So, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, well, I, I mean, after this next scene, the movie really kicks into high gear towards the end here. You know, we see, uh, another that evening again, uh, Tony and then Eleanor together investigate, you know, the chapel and the singing again. And I think this is the part where, you know, right before they start investigating it, where they're, they kind of meet up as they're heading towards the chapel where she says, you know, yeah, I've heard this, uh, music and singing and stuff like that. Nobody else ever says they do hear it. And then she also does remark and say that the voice of the singer sounds like a young Tony. And that's another thing to uh, keep your uh, keep in the back of your brain here uh, <laughs> as well. But they they go to the chapel and again, they see uh, Simon playing the organ and then they see this creeper in this mask in this gown. So what what do you think of that scene? I, I really like that because, you know, they they you know, they step up. They're looking through the window this time. He's not he doesn't open the door <laughs> and he, he sees the you know, there's the choir boy sitting next standing next to simon as he plays and it seems like they're you know singing but Mm -hmm. then the choir boy sees that eleanor is looking through the the window i I like you know you're like where's where's tony where's tony you know and then when it comes out to get her then tony grabs the choir boy you know so Mm -hmm. I, i i liked how they set that up it's like they don't they don't telegraph that tony snuck off to to you know to jump on them but uh that was that was a nice uh that was a nice bit. It was very, you know, it's it, it, and of course we get the scene of the the choir boy looking at the camera with the eyes darting around right there. And I was like, yeah. Ooh, man. <laughs> yeah, that is creepy. <laughs> I can't imagine how Eleanor felt because, I mean, she's already teetering on the edge here. So to see that, you're just like, what? And, you know, right. the qu- air quotes choir boy comes out and tries to it looks like try to kill Eleanor with the hook. And then, yeah, Tony, yeah and Tony's there and grabs choir boy and. This is when we see he rips off the mask and it's Aunt Harriet. So you're like, oh, boy. So she's, you know, on one hand acting like this, you know, like I'm concerned and worried about everybody kind of person. But she's obviously sort of in league with Simon and his shenanigans. Right. 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 And like you said, she looks like she's willing to, like, kill Eleanor. I mean, her own niece, you know, to to protect her nephew. So that obviously, again, there's. (laughs) <laughs> that points toward there's something more going on here. I mean, yeah, you, you might have your favorites, but let's not go too far. Okay. You know? mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. So as if that wasn't crazy enough, then, uh, you know, we, we understand that, you know, Eleanor's a little like, Oh my gosh, this is all crazy and stuff like that. And they go in the house and they're talking to Aunt Harriet and Simon just takes off. And, you know, she's like, Oh, you know, I've, I've been trying to protect the family name and protect Simon and he's insane and he's crazy and this, that, and the other thing. And, I don't know if she stays in the room or she goes to bed, but then this is a really crazy scene here where, you know, Eleanor and Tony are like, all right, let's everybody go to bed. And, you know, they do a little like, you know, goodnight and this little peck uh, on the lips, which is eh, depends on where you're from. But some places that's really creepy. Other places (laughs) it's like, well, you know, okay, whatever. Then they have a romantic kiss and Eleanor in the middle of it, like pulls away and she totally freaks out. And goes running to her room, slams the door shut, and she's like, what does she say? I, I'm like, Simon, I'm mad, I'm crazy. Mm-hmm. And she looks over on her uh, uh, dresser there, and there's a pair of scissors. 
and she lunges for them. And wow, that's a that's a really wild scene. Luckily, uh, you know, fake Tony here uh, comes busting in and stops her. But yeah, powerful scene here, right? Oh yeah, that's that's a that is a great scene. I mean, Jeanette Scott's wonderful in it. I mean, I love how they stage it to where she's like she's got her hands in front of her face, screaming that I'm like Simon, I'm like Simon, and she looks. You see her look at her wrists. Mm-hmm. And then she looks over and looks at the scissors and you know what she's going to do, you know? Mm. Uh, I mean, that's just like, oh my God. I mean, of course that's like the, you know, unfortunately that's like the quickest way to, to do that, obviously. Yeah. And she, she runs over, you know, to grab the scissors and he comes in and, and I, 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 you know, the first time I watched this, I was like, well, what's he, what's he going to do? What's he going to say? And he tells her, he yeah. tells her that I'm not your brother, you know? And, and rather than be like you son of a, She's relieved that he's not her brother. <laughs> she's relieved he's not her, you know, her brother. Yeah, she is very relieved, you know. She and she just like crumbles into his arms because, like, oh, okay, so I'm not sick. It's okay that I'm attracted to you, but I, it, it, uh, is it is it okay though? Because <laughs> because he looks apparently looks so much like her brother, and the fact that did she the way she was so fixated on her brother i'm not sure eleanor is 100 percent sane either i mean i know everybody's trying to mm. drive her that way but i i, I mean I, she's not out to hurt anybody that's for sure but yeah, yeah i i'm not sure that totally totally clears clears their romance for an okay future you know <laughs> just <laughs> yeah I, i'm not sure this one that this one passes the sniff test i don't know it's, it's, it's right a little, it's, yeah. a little, it's still a little creepy there eleanor sorry <laughs> yeah i mean i know you're, they're both very very attractive people young attractive people and it it yeah but it's like uh you thought he was your brother just a few minutes ago he looks enough like your brother to convince you that he is and yeah, I, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. And then so we uh, uh, say goodbye to a, a cast member uh, the next day. You know, we see that, uh, you know, Simon, who's, you know, again, just now he's in one of his like more calmer moods and probably plotting. He's not going insane and yelling and screaming, but uh, he has a conversation with uh, the nurse here, Francois. And she's like uh, she's guessed and figured out that he's really gone off the deep end and he's doing things that she was not OK with. Uh, so she's like, I'm leaving. I'm out of here. And wow, brutal scene there. And this really shows how brutal and how demented Simon is. You know, when you have someone that's a, a serial killer or, you know, just snaps and, you know, goes into a home and murders someone or just, you know, someone on the street just cold blooded murders them. Uh, to me, that's one thing. But when you have somebody like Simon that he can kill someone and not even think twice about it, he's really gone past a place of even rehabilitation in my opinion like he he says to her like oh don't leave you know you know we can uh, have our you know little affair and maybe we'll go off together and i really love you and this and that and then wow he 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 kills her isn't that that's a really really brutal scene yeah i mean he he lays her down in the grass and is kissing her and he's got her right next to the pond and then i love how they do it because they don't really show it but you just get the movement of Oliver Reed, he's got his hand on her face and then it cuts to him and you can see him kind of push his shoulder in and then it cuts to like the ducks in the pond and mm-hmm. then they they like they fly off because of what's going on you know that's and I'm sure she's you know th- you know thrashing about and 
he's holding her head underwater, drowning her, you know, and and yeah. and then there's that scene. I guess he throws. I, I don't know why he would do that because she's going to come back up later. But I, it looks like he probably just f- floated her body down into the pond because mm-hmm. it shows the shot from underneath the pond at at Oliver Reed at Simon with his hand like coming out of the water like he just yeah just shoved her down in there which again she's going to float back up to the top here soon but I don't think it's going to matter because things are going to they escalate really quickly <laughs> from here so <laughs> yeah the crap's the crap's about to hit the fan anyway so a floating body in the pond no big deal <laughs> right that's the, right. that's the least of Simon's worries here <laughs> right exactly <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> and I do love, too, how Eleanor then the next morning comes out and she's looking around and he's like, are you looking for someone? And she goes, yes. Where's Francois? And he's like, she left. And he's like, the Eleanor's like, what? And he goes, yeah, she left unexpectedly like this morning. And she also says, oh, well, where's Tony? And he's like, oh, he left, too. But I have a feeling he'll be back. And this is when he goes to Keith and says, Keith, I'm done. I'm not doing this anymore. You know, that's that's yeah. a that's a that's a scene there where you're like, OK, this guy was, you know, going to, you know, embezzle some money. But he actually does have, you know, somewhat of a heart and, and a conscience here. So he's uh, he's not going down that road. Right. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I, lo- I love how relaxed Oliver Reed is just. Yeah. He's just lounging out on on some of the <laughs> patio furniture, you know, just uh he just it's it's almost uh it's like a Frankenstein past the marmalade moment, you know, it's uh Yeah. <laughs> He's like picking petals off of a flower and throwing them like she loves me, she loves me not kind of thing. I'm like, look at this. Yeah. Nut. Yeah, he's just he's it's uh yeah, it's a great moment. And like you said, he's like he's like, "Well, are you looking for someone?" You know, like he's like he's like leaning into it, you know, like 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 he kind of wants her to kind of, like menacingly, like he's not He's not totally trying to cover up. Yeah, mm-hmm. I had something to do with the fact that you'll never see her again. You know, yeah. like yeah. you're not going to know what it is unless she floats back up. But, uh, but, <laughs> but <laughs> maybe weight her down. I don't know. But, uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, it's 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 a great little bit because it just it, again it, it telegraphs. Okay, this guy's getting to the point where he he. He can't even I don't even think he can start. He's getting where he can't even cover things up very well. You know, he's yeah. he's fully he's come out, you know, completely as as being, you know, con- totally unhinged at this point. <laughs> yeah, he's yeah, he's lost his grip on reality. It, it's yeah. it's for sure. So and then I'm not kind of sure about this. This is one thing in the movie that I'm still slightly fuzzy on. At some point here, uh, fake Tony, uh, he comes to the conclusion that he doesn't think the the real Tony committed suicide. He thinks something a little more sinister went on here. And I'm not sure if it's something that Simon said or Aunt Harriet said or a combination of all those things, but he he has it in his head that there's something else going on here that, you know, he assumes involves probably Simon since he's an absolute maniac. So he starts to investigate things and uh, goes into the chapel that's interesting to me because, like I said, I can't pinpoint where, like, what may have been said or he saw that made him think, you know, he does kind of feel like Simon was obsessed with his brother because I think we forgot to mention that, you know, the the singing that was going on while he was playing, Simon was playing the organ in that family chapel there was a recording of his brother singing. Mm-hmm. So he was having uh, this uh, this ritual in the family uh, little uh, cathedral here, uh, you know, where he was playing the organ, the brother was singing on this recording 
and he was almost making Aunt Harriet dress up with this mask on to kind of be the stand-in for Tony there. But I don't know if that all, he put that together somehow. I'm not sure. Did you see anything to, to, to piece that together? I, I think, I think yeah, when, when Aunt Harriet, you know, she partially comes clean when they unmask her that she basically has to do this grotesque masquerade to keep Simon, to, to placate Simon's madness as much as she can because she tells him, you know, of course, Simon's insane. This is what I have to do to because he he was so distraught over Tony's death that I have to I have to do this. And I, I think fake Tony probably put two and two together and yeah. figured, well, he tried to kill us. So chances are he killed he killed Tony, the real Tony. And that's why he's so guilt stricken, because there's a part of him that realizes how horrible and wrong that was. So he has to recreate Tony in his mind to to be able to, you know, function, you know, uh, so, mm -hmm. and, and it makes you wonder though, at what point did Aunt Harriet come to this conclusion that this helps him? Why, you know, that, I mean, it's such a, it's such an extreme thing to do, you know, that, yeah. that, but, but she'll go to whatever lengths, you know, to appease him because she has <laughs> feelings with him that are way beyond, <laughs> and aunt and a, a nephew and yeah. aunt and a nephew or even a surrogate mother and a nephew um Oof. so which is even worse Oof. but um yeah so i i get the impression that that was enough for him to think okay th this guy is you know i, I you know I, i'm getting the feeling that maybe tony didn't didn't kill himself um mm -hmm. so yeah so then he like you said he, he goes to uh he goes to investigate yeah yeah, he goes into the chapel and he's creeping around and looking for this. And you know, he's, he's looking for something. And it's interesting that I think, you know, he's starts like digging around like the organ. And before he can get too far, he gets uh, confronted by, uh, I think it's uh, Aunt Harriet first, isn't it? Yeah, I think so. Yeah. Yeah. And he kind of says to her like, hey, I, I know what's going on here. I know Tony Ashby didn't kill himself. You know, I know I know there's something a little more sinister going on here. And, you know, he he tells her to kind of hit the road. But before he can really get too far into things, uh, Simon shows up uh, to yeah. uh, to uh, stop him. Basically, at first, he kind of has a conversation with him. And I I'm not sure at this point, did he dig far enough into the organ to see the corpse? Yeah, I think he does. Right. As Simon comes in, if I remember right, you know, it's it, it, it gets it. Things happen so quick. It's hard to kind of remember what sequence things happen. But, yeah, he he uncovers, you know, behind. I think when he's in there talking to Aunt Harriet, like the the one of the pipes falls over or something. And he sees that there's like a wall behind it that's missing a brick or something. And he uh, he starts digging behind that. And there <laughs> behind the wall is the mummified corpse of the real the real Tony. And it's yeah. <laughs> it's pretty disturbing, too, because it's just got enough flesh left on it to be even creepier than if it was just a skeleton. <laughs> yeah, it, it yeah, it's not a skeleton and it's not human. It's like halfway between the two, which is, like you said, super, super creepy. And yeah. again, he was keeping this in the organ in their chapel. Like, what? <laughs> Holy crap. This is <laughs> this is really like this is where you really think, wow, he's he went off the deep. He didn't just go off the deep end. He's been demented since he was very young because he does you know uh, the the fake tony here uh starts to question simon about you know well who left the suicide note was it you it was you wasn't it he said you know i think at this point simon says that maybe a year or two beforehand so that would have made tony 13 when simon you know 
I think he says he kind of like they were playing some kind of game or something like that. And he actually had him write this suicide note out or something like that. So it, he, this kid was less than 13 years old and he was already plotting to kill his brother. Yeah, he, he kept it. He kept it just because he yeah he was plotting to kill him because I guess at some point he knew that, you know, he would, you know, I, I don't know if I don't know if at that point if it was about the money or if Simon was just jealous of him or for other reasons or, or mm-hmm. he, they don't really come out and say because and, and it makes you wonder, OK, the parents, did he have something to do with killing them, too, in their plane crash? Did he did he did they have a private plane that he messed around with based on the fact that he that he messed around with those brakes kind of makes you wonder, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so, I mean, I, I don't they never say that. That's just conjecture on my part. But, yeah, he he had he he coaxed the real Tony into writing his own suicide note, kept it for two years and then decided to put it to use one day so <laughs> yeah basically yeah yeah basically he put the suicide note out by the cliffs and was like hey everybody i found this tony killed himself and really he had killed tony already and uh had his uh corpse uh <laughs> somewhere on the on the down low and then eventually uh, shoved into a, a fake wall behind their organ in their family chapel <laughs> and it, it makes you wonder at what point Anne harriet found out about it did she know as soon as he did it did she know that he what he had done Mm-hmm. Or did he hide it at first and then come to her when he was having one of his freakouts about it? And that's when she started to console him with her strange, you know, I'm Tony, you know, and it's everything's OK, you know, which. Yeah, uh, it's it's really creepy. He ties fake Tony up to one of the pillars in the, the room and and uh, oh. uh, has the corpse sitting there while he's playing the organ. <laughs> oh. <laughs> yeah. And then he's like telling the fake Tony. Uh, yes, my brother and I have had a conversation, and he's been lonely for so long in here. He needs someone here to keep him company, so you're going to join him. <laughs> I'm like, holy crap, the corpse is there, and it's like, it's crazy. But Aunt Harriet comes in, and she's like, oh, don't do this, Simon. Like, I'll take care of this for you. And she does convince Simon to go back into the house, and it, she kind of freaks out, too, and says to the fake Tony, like, you know, nobody's going to take Simon away from me, and hurt him and blah, 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 blah. And she takes a, a, an oil lamp and throws it on the ground and starts a fire right in the middle of the chapel. And, okay. At this point I'm thinking, all right, well, how's, how's he going to get out of this? And you know, what's going to happen with Simon and wow, everything comes to a really crazy wild crescendo here. Doesn't it? Oh yeah. I mean, it's, it, it it's, it's kind of amazing what, you know, that it doesn't take very long for this to, you were right at the last few minutes of the movie. I mean, this is mm-hmm. a very, very abrupt ending, even for hammer. Yeah, uh, but, uh, you know, Eleanor comes in and 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 frees, you know, Tony and he says, don't even go back to the house. Let's leave. And they just they run off. And we see that Simon sees that the 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 chapel's on fire. And I guess it's because he's he's got to go get to Tony, you mm-hmm. know, the to, to save him. And, and that's when Oliver Reed goes into his complete mental breakdown mode. He does that same walk he did when in a curse of the werewolf, when he found out he was a lycanthrope and was like walking across the countryside just like having fits you know uh yeah stumbling around it's kind of the same it's the same uh the same thing he did in that film and it, it's really effective because you just totally get he's like not even in control of his own body at this point it's it, it, he's and, and then Anne harriet you know was like calling to him but she falls on the stairs and it's kind of amazing that she doesn't I, i'm kind of surprised she didn't run after him and they both didn't just burn up in the chapel to be honest with you because it 
I think it actually might have worked a little bit better, but it, it probably would have killed the, the 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 visual of him cradling his brother as the the room burns down around him. So. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, it's a really creepy scene, and I'm thinking to myself, okay, that and that is like roll credits. You just see, like you said, Simon laying on top of this corpse while the flames are just consuming him, the entire chapel, and everything. So I think to myself, okay, so what happened after the movie ended? And Harriet's just off her rocker, and she's with the butler in the house. Like, what, (laughs) what happened here? Because you know they made it sound like you know Eleanor was going to take off with fake Tony and go wherever to be together so okay what what happened then at the house I, I'd, I'd love to know <laughs> i mean you know it's it seems like the, the you know the couple the you know the, the the good guys you know made it out alive but at the same time it's like yeah tony ended up fake tony ended up being not too bad of a guy but at one time he was willing to 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 fraudulently claim he was somebody that had committed suicide to get mm-hmm. money yeah. and then eleanor is you know in in love with a man who she thought was her brother. <laughs> um, yeah. So I'm not sure anybody's going to have a real happy ending after too long in this film. So, <laughs> yeah, maybe we shouldn't ask too many questions and just <laughs> just roll with it as it ended. Right. <laughs> Francois is going to float back to the top. And they're going to find Ooh. her, dead, you know, so, uh, mm. yeah, it's it. Yeah. And yeah, I, I, I think I don't think Anne Harriet, if she survived, if she didn't. The flames didn't, you know, come on over to the to the mansion. Yeah, yeah. Which they may have, you know, if she survived, I'm she's probably in a mental institution somewhere at this point. At you know, not long after, because you know, her precious Simon's gone, and you know, mm-hmm. all the dirty secrets are revealed, and because I'm sure they'll find remains of Simon and Tony in there, and they'll be able to determine that oh, this is the body of Tony Ashby that was supposed to be lost at sea when he committed suicide eight years earlier so yeah it's it's not gonna end well for anybody i don't think really so yeah i don't know if scotland yard's even gonna be able to figure this one out by what happened in the evidence (laughs) yeah it's true i mean yeah unless unless eleanor and and tony come back around fake tony come back around later and and tell them you know tell them what happened yeah it's and they might not they might take off and never look back so and who could blame them so yeah yeah that's probably for the best so (laughs) yeah wow this like we said this is a crazy film and you once you think you know what's going to happen or what's going on it's it's really something else happens you know i mean and it's not one of those films where things just keep happening to keep happening and keep the movie going there's there's a purpose to everything in this one i really really think this is a a well-written produced directed and acted film here this is this is a real good one don't you think Oh yeah, I, I think this is uh, I think it's an it's a it's a hidden gem, you know, uh, in in the Hammer catalog. I mean, you know, of course everybody goes to the the Dracula and the Frankenstein films, and then beyond that, the other the other horror titles. And and but I, I think a lot of these, like you said, Scream of Fear, Taste of Fear, um, you know, Maniac films like that, they're all they're all worth watching. They're all good. But I think I think this one in in Scream of Fear, Taste of Fear is are the top two, and they're definitely. Even if you're you're not into um, into hammer horror in particular, I, I think I think anybody could get invested in this and and really enjoy it and enjoy all the twists and turns in it. Yeah, absolutely. If you're only if you're not really into the hammer, you know, the horror necessarily, but you know you like films like Psycho and stuff like that, definitely give like we said those uh, Taste of Fear and this one a try. They're they're really good films. They're 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 good. They'll they'll entertain you and creep you out. <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, and I mean it's the the black. They're in black and white, which is kind of anti Hammer. Uh, you know, which is is interesting because you know Hammer's big thing was it's in Technicolor. It's it's horror in Technicolor for the first time. But I think these really benefit from being you know in black and white. I think they. Mm-hmm. Kind of, it adds to that mood and atmosphere, and and uh, of course, it, it does feel more like Hitchcock's Psycho that way. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but it 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 for whatever reason, it just seems to, it just seems to work, particularly in this film. I think it just uh, it it just adds to the ambiance of it. Yep, absolutely. So, all right. Well, any final thoughts on this one other than that? I I just uh, I recommend it. Like I said, uh, I just uh, you know if if uh, if you haven't seen this one, hopefully hopefully you've watched the movie before you listen to this. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. Or, or or listen to this episode. Wait a few months to kind of forget the little details we told you. Then go watch it. You know that's I've done that on podcasts when I've listened to podcasts about movies. I was kind of on the bubble on, and I, mm-hmm. and I've been like uh, I've like. Oh, hey, that sounds pretty cool. I need to watch that. So, but I'll I'll wait a few months and then yeah. and then go back and watch it. And a little some things that people have said will pop up, but I I'm still it's still you know the way that it it p- plays out is still you know interesting and enjoyable to me. So you may maybe do it that way. <laughs> yeah, with my memory, I can just wait a few days and then go watch it. I'll have forgotten. Already. That's mine's mine shot. So <laughs> I don't even have to wait a few months. But gotcha. All right, All right man. Well. So let's talk about what you do on the uh, podcasting realm here. You and your wife, Cindy, uh, so you, like I said, when I intro you, half of the supermates, uh, you two have some really cool shows out there. Uh, first and foremost for me is JLU Cast. So why don't you talk about that? Well, JLU Cast is our show where we discuss the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited animated series that, of course, cover the DC Comics Super Team, the Justice League, that was produced in the early 2000s by Bruce Timm and company, the 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 final leg of the DCAU, uh, DC Animated Universe, as it's known, that began with Batman the Animated Series. Uh, and uh, we are uh, we just we're just about at the end of season one of Justice League Unlimited. We're taking a break for a few months to do our uh, go back to Supermates and do our House of Frankenstein series, but. By the end of the year, we'll have wrapped that up, and and Justice League Unlimited is just it's so we we enjoy doing Justice League, but now we're in the Justice League Unlimited, we are having a blast because those episodes are just fantastic. I don't there's there's not a real dud in the whole three seasons of it, mm-hmm. uh, yeah. and it's it's just wonderful. We we we're just enjoying the heck out of it. Yeah, JLU cast is great. Yeah, once it became the you know all these other characters involved in it as well, it really really took off. I mean, just, even the Justice League series was good too, but man, once it get to the unlimited it really took off with so many great characters and to me the forefront of that is the question <laughs> oh yeah uh, yeah we've we've loved i mean we've got a little bit of him and he he'll be real important in season two and mm-hmm. we've loved it and jeffrey combs is the question is just the the he's just the the bee's knees and it's it's my favorite version of that character and in, in i like him better on jlu than i do in the comics even so <laughs> <laughs> yeah great great character but all right well you also mentioned you know it's it's that time of year uh, Halloween season is here in September, October for, oh my gosh, how many years has it been? You and Cindy have been doing House of Frankenstein. It's quite a while, isn't it? This will be our ninth year. Wow. House of Frankenstein. Yeah. Yeah. So we, 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 we do four episodes every year. We do, you know, we, uh, we, uh, we start in September because you can never, you know, you can never start Halloween too early. Uh, so mm-hmm. yeah, never. <laughs> uh, and uh, we're starting out this year with a mummy double feature, uh, the universal classics of uh, Mummy's Hand and the Mummy's Tomb, 
mm-hmm. and uh, we're also going to cover a Hammer film this year. It's it's a later Hammer film, but we covered Dracula AD nineteen seventy two last year, so we got to cover the Satanic rites of Dracula this year. So, oh, yeah. uh, so we're going <laughs> to cover some Lee and Cushing action, the, their final film together as Dracula and Van Helsing. So uh, I'm looking forward to to getting into that one. Yeah, that's a blast, too, because you guys talk the films and then you'll talk about a comic as well. That's something that's definitely unique that you guys do. Yeah, we, we try to we try to match up a comic uh, that, you know, has that that monster or a similar theme uh, to it. Uh, and uh, so we've got uh, I've got some some fun ones planned out this year. And sometimes we'll dip into some animated adventures. It's always superheroes versus the monster uh, in question. And uh, uh, so, yeah, we've got some we've got a we've got an animated uh, segment uh, that we're going to cover, and also uh, three comics. So, uh, and and uh, they're they're fun they're fun books, and kind of mixing up some, who the characters are a bit this year. So we're we're having a good time with it. Oh yeah, that's great. Yeah, I love it. Look forward to it every year. Like you said, usually have two. I think it's two uh, episodes in September and two in October. And by the time this comes out, everybody will have at least heard the two in September. Um, and then maybe even one of them in October, too. So I'm planning on trying to get a ton of content out in October, especially maybe even, you know, multiple times per week. So not 100 percent sure on this one yet, but it'll definitely be for uh, Halloween. You'll be hearing this as well, but definitely get out there and uh, look up uh, you guys on the Fire and Water Network. And what else do you have going on? To do? Are you just doing some guest spots on everything else other than those two shows, Chris? Yeah, I, I drop in on other Fire and Water shows. It's on Fire and Water. You can go to fireandwaterpodcast.com. That's where you can find everything. Of course, we're 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 available on all your your we're all your podcasts are available, so you can check those out too. But I pop in on uh, uh, Rob Kelly's For All Mankind show and do the merchandise segment for all merch kind on there, and it that's where Rob covers the Super Friends comic, which is wonderful. And we talk about the fun Super Friends merchandise that was out in the seventies. Uh, and uh, we did Superman Movie Minute, but we're on hiatus right now because we've done Superman, the movie, Superman 2 and Superman 3. We still got to cover Supergirl and Superman 4, The Quest for Peace. But we're not doing those five minutes at a time. We're just going to do some specials on those. <laughs> <laughs> we're only human people. We can't yeah. take that much torture. Uh, yeah, so. God, God bless. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. Oh yeah, uh, but yeah. So yeah, that's uh, you know, and I you know dabble around, write articles for thirteenthdimension.com, and work on some other things here and there. But you know, just uh, I'm on Facebook and I'm on Twitter some, but I I should be on it more. But I I need to get on it more. But uh, yeah, just uh, just uh, look for us out there. We're we're out there. So yeah, you have a, a good uh, fun pages on Facebook. Definitely look for those too. Your your JLU cast, and then. Uh, Definitely uh, at Supermates Pod on Twitter. So, like I said, it's uh, you're you're on there, you're bouncing around now and again. So, yeah, definitely look uh, Chris up out there. So, all right, well, thanks, Chris. I really appreciate this, man. This was a blast. I love talking about this film and pretty much all Hammer films, and uh, had a real good time today, man. This was great. Thanks for being on. I appreciate it. Oh, it's 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 been an honor, Billy. I've really been enjoying your your Hammer episodes, and you're doing great work and. And it's great to have somebody to talk about these films with and uh, another Hammer fan. It's uh, at a blast and I'll be glad to come back and and talk with you about another one anytime. So if you if you if you won't mind having me back, I'll be glad to come back some point. So, yeah. <laughs> All right. We'll have to we'll have to get our heads together after the recording here and uh, do do uh, some plotting. But uh, yeah, we'll get you on JLU cast, too. There you go. So, <laughs> oh, man. Oh, maybe a qu- maybe a question episode. Woo! Sure. Let's do it. Let's do it. <laughs> He was so good. He was so good. But 
All right, I'm going to duck out of here quick and then uh, play a promo and be right back to wrap up the show. What, what sort of what sort of character is Labette, the man you're portraying in this film? Um, he's a trapper. He's a, he's an international trapper. It doesn't mean to say that you know he necessarily comes from Canada. I think his behaviour is common to all sorts of trappers all over the world. He he thinks like an animal and he eats like an animal. Perhaps he, he makes love like an animal. He's a man of the forest who is very unused to civilization and unused to talking to people and uh, mixing with people. He's an animal. La bête is the name in French, a beast. I know that you worked hard to get this French-Canadian accent. Yeah. Now, how did you go about it? Because it's totally unlike the French spoken in Paris today, for example. Yeah, sure. Um, well, I have played French characters before, but never a French-Canadian, which is very different. I spent um, several days in Montreal, um, going around the docks and the bars, trying to uh, listen to the French Canadians. I made friends with one or two of them. They helped me a great deal. Other than that, um, we had some tapes sent from Canada before the film was made and I worked on those for some time. Now, this is your first film with Rita Tushingham. How do you find her as a person? Um, she's even better than these horses, which is something. She's marvellous. Always when an actor is told, you know, or asked her what he feels of his co-star, he's always ridden with clichés trying to describe her. She's not perhaps one of the most classically beautiful female stars that England has produced, but certainly um, pretty fantastic. She's got the most wonderful pair of eyes. I think I'd like to go swimming in them. The trouble is her husband's around and he acts rather like a coast guard. And I don't think my wife would like it either. <laughs> Well, I don't know why that should remind me of fighting, but for some reason, Tough Eggs are always trying to pick fights with you. Have you been in any good fights since you've been in Canada? Um, one or two with this horse. Um, no, not really. I think um, there are some... What sort of character is Labette, the man you're portraying in this film? Um, well, take a look. You can see he's um, a pretty rugged character. He's a, a trapper. Um, an international trapper, if you like. He doesn't necessarily belong to Canada or British Columbia. I think he's the sort of person who, regardless of where he was in the world, um, would behave in the way he does behave. He's unused to civilization, he's unused to people, he's unused to coming in contact with human beings. He's much more at home with um, horses and wolves and bears and things like this. And because of this, his attitude towards people and towards civilization is, is that of an animal, um, which makes it interesting. I know that you worked hard to get this French-Canadian accent for the film, but how did you go about it? Because it's totally unlike the French spoken in Paris today, for example. Yeah. Um, George Brown um, came to Canada before we started the film and collected um, several tapes which she sent back to me, and I played over and over again and listened to... Um, I got... You want to put that down my throat? You're like a dentist. Um, and uh, we worked on these tapes, and then I went over to Montreal and spent five days in Montreal going around the docks and into the pubs and talking to the French Canadians there. In actual fact, we hired one to uh, to sit in my room and uh, and read with a French Canadian accent for hours on end. I think he got tired than I did. Now, this is your first film with Rita Touchingham. How do you find her as a person? Oh, <laughs> this is a question that when actors are asked, they're um, inclined to be full of clichés about the sort of answer they give. They, um, which is not the most fantastically classical, beautiful woman that, um, that, that England has ever produced, but um, she is 
And I mean, it's fantastic. She's got the pair of eyes that I would like to go swimming in. Um, that, I know, sounds like a cliché, but uh, I can't do that um, because her husband's um, around the place, and I think he's a pretty good swimmer, too. Plus, my wife wouldn't like it. Well, uh, I don't really know why this reminds me of fighting, but um, I know for some reason that tough eggs are always trying to pick fights with you. Have you been in any fights since you've been in Canada? No, I've had... Um, I've had one or two close shaves. I don't think the Canadians are, are used um, to my beard and long hair, hair. Maybe in England they're used to the Beatles, and so um, it's not so fantastic that somebody should have long hair. But um, one or two remarks are past. I think the, the best thing to do is to ignore them. I think um, they're trying very hard to be Canadians in the right. All right, everybody, that's it for this episode. Once again, I want to thank Chris for being on. Uh, Chris is a good guest, you know, a great guy. Uh, him and his wife, Cindy, have really, really good stuff. You know, House of Franklin Stein around Halloween. You definitely need to tune in for that and JLU cast. And then, of course, Chris is all over the Fire and Water Network. You know, definitely check him out there. And, uh, yeah, look up all uh, the socials. I'll have all that stuff in the show notes so you can check that out. All right, everybody. Catch you next time. <laughs>